also a kind of a daddy i think it's the first time i ever had a daddy in a book and i think this is my first book i read by you right yeah i think it was i think we've talked about this right this is the this is the no 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 the wedding one the 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 maid of honor was the first one you read yes that was the first one there's titty fucking in that book actually was it oh it was uh um, abby jimenez messaged me or she posted in her instagram stories that she was reading baiting the maid of honor and i messaged back i was like there's titty fucking in that book and she was like yay yeah, that was your message back yeah. <laughs> you were just like oh my god there's titty yeah. fucking the time, <laughs> do you know how rare that is though it, it doesn't, doesn't happen, happen very often but it's hot yeah. it does oh it's so hot because it's nasty it it's it's like that thing's real close to your face you know now that you say that i don't think i've done that in a long time like in real life yeah yeah it's just a kid to do (laughs) (laughs) when you can't put it in your in your pussy like you have to you have to find other places to put it wait but i think that's why it's so hot it's like you just you want to fuck every part of her you know yeah like he he's just got to fuck every piece of you I think that's especially so if they can come from it. it. That's really hot. Oh it my is, god, that's so uh, hot! It's like they're so turned on by your pressed together <laughs> boobs that they just mm-hmm. it feels so good. Spontaneous eruption. Um, oh, well, I need to know before we go any further if there's any Doctor Phil updates. Oh yeah, no, I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to do it. We have family dinner. I think. Was it last weekend? Or we do it every other weekend, but we had a family dinner. And you didn't ask her. And I don't know why. I just cannot, which is really weird because we are a very open family. We openly talk about birth control. We openly talk about sex. But she wasn't openly it's talking very to emo- you about this. Yeah. So we're it's just a very mature family. You know what I mean? Everybody's kind of, it's just open. But for some reason, I cannot <laughs> say this Dr. Phil thing. I th- I I think it's because you found it. This would be like you discovering it something. Might, it might change her, her from being you. open to being, you know, like it might it might yeah. affect her yeah. negatively. But I, I just wondered if there had been any other like um, hints dropped. But now people are sending me like Dr. <laughs> Phil, like links and gifts, and I'm like I'm like you are so in my life now. This is wonderful. But I find it hard to believe that she has a thing for Dr. Phil because like. On her like social media stuff, like on the Twitter, she wasn't even following it. I, you know, and I thought about this because you know it stayed with me. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know, I thought about. I was like, well, what if you know she was looking up those pictures for her Twitter profile? You know, like what? But if, the Twitter what... profile is so old. Like I think she forgot about the Twitter profile. Oh okay. And the search engine stuff was recent. Oh oh wow. Because she she hasn't been on that Twitter like. She made it a year or two ago and then did nothing with it. 
Yeah. She literally followed her brother twice. He has two accounts. Yeah. And like a couple of rappers and that's it. And she never tweeted. She never started a tweet. She never did nothing. Yeah. God, it's it's a mystery. So, I know. It's like, it just. I know. I just need to know. Okay, like, this is, it needs to be. And a then, book. so I even asked my husband. <laughs> I was like, I was laying on the couch because me and my mom and my husband were on the couch and everybody just got done eating. And I like leaned over to my husband. I was like, so can I ask her about the Dr. Phil thing? And he's like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? So then I tell my mom and my mom's like, because she'll call anybody out for anything. She's like super direct. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. I'm going to have to think on this one. And then she it that has it brought back up. That was it. Oh, speaking of my mom, you know what she asked me what? yesterday? What? I got really excited. I need to text her. I guess I'm just going to do it. Um, I've been on her already about things. Uh, Christmas lights. She just does our Christmas lights on both of our houses every year. And mm-hmm. I'll come home and I just have Christmas that lights. That is the yeah. dream. <laughs> it is right? the dream. So I get excited. So I'll like text her. I've already been texting her. And I'm like, you know, she's like, God, it's really storming outside tonight. I was like, yeah, you know what the storm would look good with? My Christmas lights. And so I'll just start on her early. But she texted me yesterday. She was like, what color do you want this year? And I said, Pink. I want rainbow. And and then I was sitting there for a second. I was like, is there pink Christmas lights? Yes, yep. there is. There sure is. And are. she goes, she's like, I don't know. And that, and that's the last she said. So I don't know if she's going to get them for oh me. Oh, my God. Or... What if you get a house full of pink Christmas lights? What if I come home in like a few weeks and there's pink lights all over my house? <laughs> I'll be so excited. <laughs> I love this. So much. Do you know? So I guess we'll see. Well, that was the thing when we were younger is we would go to Dollywood in Tennessee. I know I've told you guys about it before because it's like the sweetest place on earth. It's so like, like nostalgic and, and simple and wonderful. But every year at Christmas, they do the Dollywood Christmas lights. And when we were kids, it was one of the first places that had that, that had like, like one whole thing would be pink or something else would be blue. And then like, you know, when we were kids, it was like you had rainbow or you had white and that was it. So this was like unheard of back then, you know, I mean like 20 years ago, it was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing ever. When we lived in New Bern, there was this neighborhood that was near us and the entire street would do this every year. Like during the day, all the neighbors would get together and they would block off a street in the middle of it, they had tables and they'd have chicken wire, like big rolls of chicken wire. And they would cut the chicken wire to make a big ball, like the size of like a bowling ball or a beach ball, like all different size balls. They would cut the chicken wire and roll it up into that. And then they would run um, Christmas lights on the outside of it. So they would string lights round and round and round and round and round. And then they would have, there was an electrician that lived there that had a cherry picker, you know, the trucks that have the bucket in the back of it. So the electrician would take these balls and he would hang them in the trees all down the street. There would be hundreds of them. And then at nighttime, all the neighbors would turn them on and you would go and you could drive through this whole neighborhood. And it was nothing but all these lights, like light balls hanging from the trees and stuff. It was the coolest shit ever. So when we when we left, we we're like, oh, we should do that. You know, we should get a neighborhood to start it. So we actually like made some. And my husband was like, you know, it's not as easy as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We made like four or five. And so we hang we usually hang those up in our tree at Christmas and stuff. So that's kind of cool. I was like, we just we need to get everybody else on board. Because I swear that was like the neatest thing being able to drive down that street and see all those pretty. Do you have one of those neighborhood um like like Mel's uh town just started like a complaint forum. 
<laughs> do you have some? I love it. <laughs> Has there been any good complaints? Did you know, I had to come. No. So here's the thing. So I do the. Oh first my god. Complaint you did not about the hay bales, and then nobody like people make comments, you know, and nobody's doing give it time. In this group. No, they don't so do then anything. I get no, I get in there the next day, like 24 hours later. I said, okay, I'm here to make my second complaint, and my second complaint is about this fucking group. And how lame you guys are. Uh-uh. There's the one goddamn complaint in here. And then everybody started complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you guys are um, severely disappointing me because I wanted to read about bullshit and you got nothing going oh on. Wait, what was your complaint? The first one, though. My complaint was about the hay bales that are painted at the end of my yard that everybody keeps I coming by. Right? I was. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, this isn't a tourist attraction. Hilarious. <laughs> Do you know, like, we have one, and it's through an app, and it's called Next Door Neighbor. Do you guys have that? No, but I've heard of it. It's a, yeah, it's a neighborhood app. If you're if you're in a certain zip code, you can get into it in, in, in like, certain groups. Like, ours is, like, a Mecklenburg branch or something. I don't know. So, I'm in this one, and every day, there's the stupidest shit that comes up, and I read it every fucking day. It's like the I news. can't help it. Yeah, it's Wait, I think they... They started this complaint group because there was a, stu- a few stupid complaints in the normal group. And the, one of the complaints, I don't know if I told you guys about it, was we have a New Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I guess they put cilantro on everything. <laughs> and people are mad. The Mexican place is putting cilantro on stuff. That's, that, that's, that's another dream of mine. <laughs> like that's, that's the petty shit I'm I, for. But I, I love cilantro. I know. <laughs> But it's, isn't that it. like a staple of yeah. Mexican food? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but that's what I just love that they're complaining about something so stupid. Some that's why I'm say excited it about like this group. Soap, though, my mom says it tastes like soap. She can't eat it. She's like it ruins the meal. I heard there's a a weird percentage. I think yeah. I heard that in that group that it actually tastes like soap. Yeah, but it's a small percentage. So of just people. ask them for yeah. no cilantro next time you go in. Oh. No, Tessa, that's not the point. We want the petty. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's like a Facebook group in my town that everybody posts their complaints in, and um, it can get intense. Like one year, I think it was like a year ago, yeah, there was a family that was using their like the grandmother's house as their address so that they could go to the local school. Yeah. But yeah. the grandmother no, had passed here. away, and they were still using the address, oh, and they didn't live there. And like some people, uh, some people out of them in the group and like the school, uh, people in the school can see it and they got uh, removed from the school no over shit. it. Holy and I was fuck. like, that's, I, it's I, I wouldn't joke. want that to be it's on deck. You know, like you, maybe you can't do that. Maybe no it's against shit. the rules, but I wouldn't want to mess with someone's life like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. No. You know, complain so about cilantro or hay bales, like... but like, don't fuck with someone's yeah. life, like life, you know? I just think about the kids and their friendships yeah. and stuff, especially if they've been going there for I knew the kid. She was in my daughter's like... grade. Oh, no. That's sucks. Yeah, it does. Ours is usually like, hey, did you hear that? Like that. That's it. <laughs> that's did you hear that? Like, a, did you hear? Do you guys hear that? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, it was. I don't know. A car? A squirrel? Like, be more specific. What the fuck did I hear? I don't know. Did you hear that? Did you fart? Like, that's not honest. Well, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I don't know if I get. They'll be like, guys, there's Jehovah's Witnesses walking down such and such street. Don't answer your door. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry to any Jehovah's oh Witnesses listening to this podcast. I'm sure there's no Please send you. your complaint emails to readmeromance at gmail.com. You guys know you, guys know you need what? to go digital. You guys know, should know by now. No, <laughs> this needs to stop being a door-to-door event. You need to just go digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, see, I was like, maybe you guys should like use this for good instead of evil and be like, hey, there's a Girl Scout on 4th Street. Go get her, <laughs> you know? That's what we should really be using this for. So should we talk about uh, what happened? I guess we should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do so it. my um my dad passed away two weeks ago. Two two weeks ago tomorrow. And yeah, I I don't know. I don't really know what to say about it. But I just wanted to say that Leah flew in from North Carolina <laughs> and su- surprised me at the wake. And it was probably the most touching thing that anyone's ever done for me. So um, oh, you called me an asshole. I said you asshole. That was, that was, uh, that was the first thing out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, just so we're clear. I was like, you look so pretty. You're like, you're an asshole. <laughs> well, because <laughs> it was like, it was like wow. I'm already super emotional. And then now I have to deal with someone that flew, you know, what, a thousand miles or 2,000 miles. I don't, I don't know. The map. It was, it's like an hour. It's not yeah. far. Um, but it is an annoying trip to, to, uh, JFK and then battling traffic and. Well, I got to see the JFK airport, which was, you know, rather luxurious. It is. LaGuardia is not. Yeah, it was nice. Like where, where no, that's where I flew out of. That was, uh, that was a big bit of a shock to the system (laughs) after going into JFK, I'll be honest. But I got to see uh, Rockaway Beach that I've never seen before, and it's beautiful out there. So my father, he, it's, it was really kind of a, sh- a total shock. He was 62. He, he uh, had a heart attack in his sleep. He didn't wake up, but he had had a back spasm two days before that he thought was, a, well, he thought it was a back spasm, but it turned out it was a silent heart attack. That was kind of like a warning that something was coming, and I guess had, that was my question. Had he ever like been to the doctor about no. that, like like blood pressure or anything? Like he hadn't. You, you don't know if he, he ever had a friend who checked. who said that he uh, been told by a doctor about his high blood pressure and he didn't want to do anything about it. So so basically, he had such high blood pressure for so long that his heart had grown to like twice its normal size, and he had oh, a ninety percent ninety nine percent blockage in his corneal artery, and it just yeah. his heart couldn't handle that anymore. And he yeah. didn't wake up, and it was peaceful, but it was a huge shock to my family. He's the healthiest person any of us know. He's like wheatgrass and vitamins and he bikes every day and he he golfs every day and goes to the gym and it was just um so I guess the only reason I'm telling you this is because you need to take your stubborn ass men in your life to the doctor yes (laughs) Um, because yes you do you know and I'm gonna go too it's not just men um but But especially the men especially (laughs) the men they they might look healthy on the outside and they might tell you they feel fine but they need to go. Yeah, because he looked like a healthy guy. Your dad did. I mean, he looked healthy. He was trim. He wasn't overweight. wasn't a smoker. No. You know, and that was, you know, that's something that surprised And it seems too. like they'll, they'll bear through stuff. A lot of a lot of men, not all men, yeah. a lot of men don't cry babies, but a, lot, a huge chunk just bear through and don't realize something's wrong. They just think it's how they're supposed um, to feel. That was, I mean, I know this isn't clearly as, as heavy, but you know, that's what my doctor said about my gallbladder. He was like, how long have you been in pain? And I'm like, I don't really know. Yeah. I've just kind of dealt with it and I've gotten used to it. Like I almost didn't even realize that my threshold of pain had gotten that high because I just had it for so long. Well, look at my husband. Who knows how long he had type 1 diabetes? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. didn't and even like do anything. Yeah. 
Like, yeah, I'm fine. Just a little dizzy. Just uh, really dehydrated and kind of, yeah, tired all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes you think it's adulthood or you're just getting older or whatever you think. Yeah, But just fucking take care of yourself, you know? The other thing I wanted to say is, like, I'm just going to try and say this without crying because I I know (laughs) I'm, I'm, like, always the downer on this podcast, but, um, (laughs) and this is, like, probably the worst thing that's ever happened, but because my father and I were really close. He lived near me and I saw him every week and he texted me every day and but I have so many regrets now so you know like I had resentments toward my my parents for like not paying for college like not keeping money in the bank for college or just like dumb mm-hmm. things and like I, yeah I never yeah. ever would give stupid I refuse to give my dad credit for where I am because of that like how where I have like how I got mm-hmm. to where I am because I felt like oh you didn't help me do anything I did it all on my own and like I just refused to give mm-hmm. him and you know what that was so stupid and you know if you have any resentments towards anybody in your life like just let it go yeah yeah so just do it like I totally get being stubborn and I totally get being independent and you know and some things are hard, impossible to forgive and I totally understand that if you have something that you want to say to somebody in your life or maybe something that you feel like you're holding on to against them and Maybe they're aware of it. It's not worth it. It's it's not worth yeah. one second after they're gone. It will not be worth it. So that was one thing that, you know, after you told us what happened, I text Mel and I was just like, wow, it, it really puts things in perspective, you know, like it immediately it rearranges your priorities yeah. Yeah. and what's petty and what's not and what's important and what's not. And it's like. You know, life's really fucking short. How do you want to spend it? Yeah, don't don't live like you've got 20 years left with people or 30 years. Live yeah. like you don't have any time left with them because, and you know, like I, I'm really grateful because me and my dad almost lost our relationship during the election, you know, like, and we, because yeah. we just have very different political views. And I don't know what happened, but we decided to like claw our way back and and, and find common ground between us. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that like stop trying to stop fighting over everything. We stopped caring about it. So anyways, it didn't end terribly. And like, I'm, I, thank God we weren't, thank God, thank God our relationship was good at the end, but like. It wasn't two years ago. No, happened, thank God you know? it didn't happen two years yeah. ago. I would have been devastated. You were given this time, I think, you know, to, to heal and, and to make the most yeah. of it. When does this episode air? When's the when's the date that this episode comes out? Next Monday. Week. This Monday. Oh, okay. So you know, I have a friend of mine. He the the day I went to your dad's wake, um, he called me and told me his mother passed away, and it was expected that she had been sick for a couple of years. So you know, they had a chance to like you know that's one thing that as much as a terminal illness sucks, you have more time to say those things. You know, like when it's a sudden death, I think you're robbed of that. And that's really hard. He lost his mother. And, you know, a couple of days later after the funeral and stuff, he called me and he said, he was like, I'm getting married. And I was like, oh, wow. And he and his partner, they've been, they've been engaged for five years. And they, he was like, you know, there's always been something that was putting off. At first it was money. And then his partner was in an accident. And then his mother got sick. And then it was like, they just kept putting it off thinking like, well, when she gets better, when she gets over this next hurdle or this next treatment or, you know, in a couple of weeks before she passed away, he was like, you know, I think we're going to get married in, in New Year's because I don't want to wait any longer and I don't know how much longer she has. And so like her, her death went much quickly than they thought. And so he was just like, I'm tired of waiting. I need something good to come from yeah. this. And so I think that's like 
you know, I know that's, I don't know what kind of positive, like, you'll find in this, but I feel like it's there, you know, like, between your, your family's amazing. Thanks. I I know you will. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And, you know, I have a friend in town who, I met her at, like, two months after her mother had passed. And she's been mourning her mother since I've known her, you know, like, and I, 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 and I did not understand it. And I even said to her, I I was like, you know, I feel like I'm gonna be really devastated when my parents die but I don't know that I'll you know like I don't know that I'll let it get in the way of my everyday life I just like you must have been so close to your mom I I did not understand it and then the second you lose a parent it's like you're in this club that you didn't know existed and she was and like Mm -hmm. I said to her I'm so I'm so sorry it's the it's I think something biological happens in your body when you lose a parent like the person who held you as a baby and the person that made you is gone and I think something changes in your body like I I think it's more than just grief and it's hard to understand Mm -hmm. until it happens and anyways it's this awful club that people are in and you can tell you can tell the people that haven't lost parents mm-hmm. and you can tell the people that have and I'm sure that a bunch of people are nodding right now that are listening to this yeah and yeah. I, I it's like I can bear it there's four of my mom friends we've all lost a parent now and we're in this like sad club where we're gonna go see a psychic <laughs> and I'm like two weeks ago <laughs> I would laugh my ass off this is amazing that's awesome are you gonna go see <laughs> yeah, a psychic yeah that's so fucking because cool. Because I, you know, like, but two weeks ago, I would have been like, that is ridiculous. Can we laugh? Can we do this on the, can we record this for the podcast? Because I really so want to know. there's this woman that, like, so there's, like, cafe near my house in my town where this psychic goes every month. And you just go and you, like, buy a ticket. You sit in the, in the room and you have your dinner and your drink or whatever. And she just goes around the room and picks people out. She doesn't, you, you don't, like, volunteer yourself or raise your hand. Like, she just goes to whoever is like calling to her so I'm just gonna go to that and see what happens but like my dad has been knocking pictures off the wall in my mom's house over the last couple days oh my god (laughs) Uh, like pictures of him have just been falling off the walls so like I feel like he's there which is so crazy to think about do you believe in ghosts like have you ever had you ever believed in ghosts before this like spirits I do believe in ghosts yeah I believe in like residual energy and yeah mm-hmm. I think if anybody could make themselves known after in the afterlife it would be my dad because he was very yeah. like just a huge presence he was like outspoken and loud and aggressive like an aggressive personality so yeah like I you know I'll be honest like I don't I'm not a religious person but god I've never wanted to believe in god more than I do right now because it's very hard to accept that it's the end of somebody So Mm -hmm. like, and my mother is, you know, my mother's very religious, so she's taking comfort in that. But like, I, it's like, where does, where does your comfort come from if you don't believe in the afterlife? So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just in this weird place right now where I'm trying to figure out what, like, yeah, everything changes immediately in the blink of an eye, everything changes. And it's, it's hard to describe. One of the, my favorite things that I heard you say, and I heard other people say, about your dad is that he would have too many glasses of wine and tell the room how beautiful your mother yeah. was. That was my favorite thing he, I heard. Yeah, I said that in my um, I think in my eulogy, he yeah, would yeah. he he would have a couple glasses of wine. Yeah, at a party, he loved parties. That was his jam. Like 
we were all saying like at the after party of after the funeral like how this was his room like he loved when everybody was together drinking wine and like talking about old times yeah he would like he would be like you know everybody listen up this woman she's the most wonderful woman I love her so much. Look how beautiful she is. <laughs> and my mom would be like, Mike, shut up. Mike, shut up. You know? I love it. That was the sweetest thing. He did it all the time. And they were it. married for 37 years when he passed. So. Yeah. <sighs> we should all be so lucky. Yeah, he was, a, he was a great, he was a great dad and a great husband. It's going to be really missed. Just terrible. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm kind of in this place where it just, like, during the day, it seems like I can knuckle down and get through it. But then morning and the nighttime, when everything settles down, it's like, and you have time to think, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's the worst. So. Yeah, that's a hard time of day. So my brother and I are going to get his mustache tattooed on our wrists, and we're going <laughs> to... Gonna do that on his birthday this year. <laughs> he had like a Tom Selleck stash, right? Like he had that he had like that thick seventies mustache. Yeah, and he it was going a little it. bit gray, so we gotta add that. I'm I'm just trying to find like uh-huh. the right we gotta find the right artist to draw it because otherwise uh-huh. it won't be I don't wanna get some like hipster mustache like handlebar thing on my wrist. Yeah, yeah. You know? You gotta get the legit <laughs> one. Gotta get a legit one. Mm-hmm. Uh so this is I okay. So thanks for listening, everybody. And this is so we're the Major's Welcome Home is a military hero. And I do you guys have any military mm-hmm. hero recommendations you can think of off the top of your head? Oh, Susan Stoker is always the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. She's so good. She writes the best. And I think it's because she sleeps with someone in the military. Pretty sure that's how it goes. <laughs> um, Cynthia Eden has a lot of military. And so does Katie Rias. Those are my two go-to and I audiobook the shit out of those two authors. Yeah, Whenever do. they have a new audiobook come out, I buy it immediately because mm-hmm. they have really good suspense that matches the romance intensity as well. My uh, yeah, my favorite military, and I've said this before on the podcast, but my favorite military uh, author is Su- uh, Suzanne Brockman, B-R-O-C-K-M-A-N-N. She has the Troubleshooter series. It's it's so good. It's fantastic. And it, it's hot and sexy, but it's also diverse. And she has a gay son in real life, that author. And she has, and her, that hero, Robin, Robin and Jules, sorry, Jules Cassidy is the, is the hero, the FBI agent that is like, he's the, one of the characters that is in it throughout the entire series. And he gets his book towards the end, but gay, he's a gay FBI agent. And he's one of my favorite characters ever written in a book. He's just fantastic. Oh, I love that. He's uh, just a badass in charge, like hero who happens to be gay and uh, has all these vulnerabilities, but is also just extremely good at his job. And so Suzanne Brockman would be my number one recommendation for military romance, uh, apart from Susan Stoker. Yeah. Nice. What, was your, what were you going to say, Mal? Oh, I text my mom. I said, pink Christmas light. She said, oh my God, get <laughs> over it. The lady said they look red. Oh, no. I said, I said, I said, thanks for ruining my life. She said, life isn't fair. Suck it up and move on. <laughs> thanks, Mom. Oh, happy and, then, and then I did a sad face. And she goes, but they can try. And if you don't like it, it can be replaced for 150 bucks. <laughs> I was like, that's what I thought, Mom. Wait, what is she trying to ordering some names on? 
They have, they're definitely pink lights. I think it's the company that orders the. I think the company does it. Like they bring their lights and they put them up and they take oh, wait, them down. Oh, wait, so your mom isn't getting on a ladder and putting up these lights? No. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> she pays somebody to come put up Christmas lights. But I will say yeah. that's true though. We have pink lights for the for the balls we make, and they all they all look they all red. There has know? to be some because I've I mean, seen they, I've seen pink they lights. Look, I've seen. Yeah. I started sending pictures to her. Well, if you put them next to red, they look pink. But I think you know when they're by themselves, they look a little red. But maybe that's because they're like a fuchsia color. Maybe if you got like a light pink. That's what I was sending her pictures of light pink ones. Mm-hmm. I love that we're we'll talking see. about. Christmas. I hope that she, I hope that she's yet. just I hope that she's just messing with me. Like she says, it's not happening, yeah. and then it happens because mm-hmm. that's something my mom would do. That's something you would do. That is something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> she's very crafty with Christmas. Like when she like wraps your presents, she'll like put a rock on there. So like there's this weird object sticking out of it, <laughs> put things inside of it. So when you shake it, it sounds weird. Uh-huh. She's sneaky. <laughs> So are you. Thank you. It's the pot and the kettle over there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, we're going to play the first installment of The Major's Welcome Home by Tessa Bailey, and we will talk to you on the other side. Enjoy this blowjob scene. Bye. Bye. (laughs) The Major's Welcome Home by Tessa Bailey. Read for you by Lauren Sweet. Chapter 1 All hail the world's shittiest welcoming committee. Kenna Sutton sat at the stoplight, chipped red nails drumming on the steering wheel. Come on, change. She could feel the car full of soldiers to her left trying to get her attention. On a typical day, she would rev the engine of her baby blue Dodge Challenger invite them to a race they would inevitably lose. But she was late, painfully late, to pick up one of their brethren, a soldier returning this morning from a staggering six years overseas, whose family was apparently too busy to greet him. So how had this landed on her shoulders? Just another perk of being Lieutenant General Sutton's daughter. Forget this, she muttered stamping her foot down on the accelerator and screeching through the red light. Only one mile to go until she reached the landing zone. This last-minute favor to her father might be a pain in the ass, but she refused to let him down. She'd already done enough letting down to last a lifetime, and it was rare that he entrusted her with anything of importance so she wouldn't screw it up. Too badly. Her knowledge of the man she'd been tasked with transporting to the barracks began and ended with one fact. He was some kind of strategic mastermind. Well, that wasn't entirely true. She knew his name and rank. Major Beck Collier's skill set must be something special because he'd made himself indispensable to the army. Six years worth of indispensable. And not one familiar face to latch onto when he landed. Kenna swallowed the unexpected wave of sympathy and took a hard right, smiling as her tires squealed. The only benefit to waking up at the crack of dawn to pick up the stuffed shirt geekster she envisioned was a chance to drive her baby. 
listened to the engine purr like a contented leopard. With a wave of troops returning home, the winding roads of Fort Black Rock shouldn't have been empty, which meant the visitors were already at the site. Damn it. She slowed down just in time to prevent bottoming out as she pulled into the parking lot. The first available space she saw was at the very perimeter of the lot, but she was way too late to be choosy. Seconds after she threw the Challenger into park, she'd snatched up her makeshift sign that simply read, Collier, and was jogging across the parking lot, her heavy, dirty laundry combat boots pounding on the asphalt. Running on a Sunday, fucking obscene. Car windows had been decorated with painted flags and the names of soldiers in big, bold letters. Welcome home. In the distance, she could hear a marching band playing God Bless America, making her slow to a walk. The Fort Black Rock marching band was notoriously terrible, and the longer she put off being in their vicinity, the better. A uniformed guard stopped her at the chain link fence. Need to see your identification, ma'am. He must be new. That wasn't arrogance talking, although God knew she had a healthy dose of the stuff. She lived on base since birth, and people, namely men, tended to know her. They didn't call her a cock tease behind her back for blending in, did they? With a sigh, she tugged the wallet from her back pocket and tossed it to the guard, popping a stick of mint gum into her mouth as he looked it over. She knew the exact moment he recognized her last name because his eyebrows disappeared into his helmet. I'm sorry, Miss Sutton. Go right in. You're a gem. Kenna walked into the airfield, pushing her wallet back into the pocket of her jeans as she went. A group of photographers and journalists blocked her view at first, but as soon as she breached the human wall they'd created, she saw the soldiers disembarking from the plane. Men carrying army green duffel bags over their shoulders strode into the arms of crying women. Babies were kissed. Photos were taken. Proposals were made on bended knee. It was enough to warm the blackest of hearts. Even hers, apparently. Feeling the odd spark in her chest, Kenna looked away quickly, wincing as the marching band struck up their awkward rendition of Wild Blue Yonder. Wasn't that song reserved for the Air Force? Holding the homemade sign above her suddenly aching head, she made her way to the greeting area, scoping the sea of soldiers for an older gentleman by himself. Strategic masterminds probably wore thick-rimmed glasses, had pasty skin. Maybe a slight paunch from too many hours in front of a computer, right? The second she dropped him off at the barracks, he'd probably dive on the first available video game controller. Didn't matter to her. She'd already be back in bed, finishing her Sunday the way she'd originally intended. Counting sheep. Excuse me, ma'am, a gravelly voice said behind her. Are you my ride? Before she turned around to face the second guy to ma'am her in less than five minutes, intuition started to creep in. Little prickles danced on the back of her neck as she pivoted, and locked eyes on the broadest chest she'd ever seen. It was easily as wide as two of her, 
and then some. The patch on his right peck read, Collier. No way. She tilted her head back and back, straight up into twin blue beacons of, yes, please. His eyes outshone the sky outlining his shaved, dark blonde head. Put it to shame. What are you now, a poet? Get your jaw off the floor. Kenna hated surprises, unless she was the one delivering them. She'd been expecting someone who might have a poster of Neil deGrasse Tyson on his wall. Instead, she'd gotten an NFL quarterback. He might have been a linebacker, if it weren't for his distinct, all-American, good old boy, Kenny Chesney listening, Levi's wearing, mama's home cooking eating vibe. It was louder than the goddamn marching band. Depends. She let her gaze drop to his tree trunk-sized thighs under the pretense of adjusting her sunglasses. Are you Major Beck, Collier? His grin was a mile wide. At your service, ma'am. Good God. What was that accent? Georgia? Definitely the South. Look, dude, anytime you want to stop mamming me would be swell. Smile slipping, he nodded as if she'd imparted life-saving instructions. Is there something I can call you instead? Hold the phone. This guy didn't even know her name. Which meant he didn't know she was Lieutenant General Sutton's daughter? When walking around base, she might as well wear a flashing neon sign that said, Looky, no touchy. And oh, they looked. She made sure of it. But on the rare occasion a man actually approached, he was clued in pronto about whose loins she'd sprung forth from. Kenna had no intention of taking advantage of true blue, being that he was the furthest thing from her type as one could get. But at least she wouldn't be treated like Kenna, spawn of Sutton, throughout the drive. I'm Kenna. Welcome back and whatnot. Suddenly at a loss without her name to precede her, she gestured to the canvas bag on the ground. Do you need help with that? His expression was one of horror. No, ma'am. Kenna. I can manage. He shifted on his size 900 feet. Do you need help with anything? She looked around. Like what? Walking? Unbelievable. This handsome, hulking man actually turned a little red. Just in general, I guess. He gave a little head shake. You'll have to pardon me. I haven't been around a woman for a while. You caught me a little off guard is all. I didn't expect. Expect what? He appeared to be struggling with the effort to keep his gaze above her neck, which was a huge feat, considering she wore a leather bustier and skin-tight, low-rise jeans that left several inches of her belly exposed. Honestly, her boobs were looking at him. Anyone with a penis should have returned the favor by now, and usually did, without fail. His Adam's apple slid up and down. Can we start over? Nope. What did you expect? Beck's blue eyes fell to hers, then looked away again. Anywhere but at her. I guess, uh, 
He cleared his throat. I didn't expect my ride to be so beautiful she makes my stomach hurt. I didn't expect that. He ducked his head and breezed past her toward the parking lot, while Kenna stood frozen to the pavement. Five minutes back on U.S. soil, and you've already made a jackass out of yourself. Back hefted his bag higher on his shoulder, refusing to acknowledge the pain that ripped through his right side. Or maybe he should acknowledge it. Focus in on the wound's discomfort, let it spread down to his toes. It might take his mind off the girl he could hear jogging to catch up with him. Should she really be jogging in that shirt? Could one even call it a shirt? Mind your manners. Beck slowed down until they were walking side by side, but kept his gaze resolutely on the parking lot ahead. Didn't it figure the good Lord would test him the moment he landed? He'd been warned the transition back to civilian life wouldn't be easy. Learning how to grocery shop, buying sneakers, eating at Denny's. He could, would, handle those things. But five tempting feet of female curves and attitude? No, sir. Beck wasn't quite ready for that. For the first time, he regretted not asking his twin sister, Huntley, a nurse on base, to pick him up, or his best friend, Cullen, who worked on base training soldiers in explosives and demolition. Both of them would have dropped everything at a moment's notice. He just needed some time. Time to wrap his mind around being home for the first time in six years. Time to prepare himself for the news he would impart. Time to accept that everything had changed. Kenna's smoky incense scent might as well have been a wrench twisting in his gut. He didn't have firsthand knowledge of what those ancient gypsy women who sold magic smelled like, but he reckoned it was similar to Kenna. The key word being similar, because he somehow knew her scent couldn't be replicated on another woman. Listen to yourself. What do you know about women? For the last year, he'd been locked inside a command center full of high-ranking officers, field scientists, journalists. Before that, well, he'd been waiting. Would still be waiting if there was anything left to wait for back home in Georgia. They reached the parking lot, and Beck immediately moved behind Kenna, guiding her without touching through the moving sea of cars. From this position, he could pull her back if a vehicle moved too fast. Touching would be required for that, though, so he prayed it wasn't necessary. Or was he praying for the exact opposite? Don't look at her backside. She threw a look at him over her shoulder, green eyes glowing just above the rim of her sunglasses. You in a rush to be somewhere, Major? Home, so I can get rid of this pain in my stomach. This wasn't his home, though. It was only temporary. No rush. He followed her lead down the last row of cars, watching as she sent the sign bearing his name fluttering into a metal garbage can. I figure you have somewhere you'd rather be than chauffeuring me around base. Kenna stopped at the trunk of a blue Challenger, a butte, to be sure, and turned to face him. I'm a firm believer that Sundays should be spent in bed.
Don't you agree? Beck lassoed the groan trying to break free from his throat, yanking it back. The thought of her tossing around in tangled sheets. Enough. This girl was doing him a kindness, and his mind could only muster inappropriate thoughts. Someone who looked, moved, and spoke like her was probably on the receiving end of such thoughts on a regular basis. He wouldn't repeat the pattern, although intuition told Beck she wanted him to. I tend to agree, Kenna. He nodded once. You should always take the opportunity to catch up on sleep. Sleep is nature's reset button. A laugh bubbled from her lips. You aren't going to fit in here, True Blue. The husky endearment made the wrench below his belt tighten. It's a good thing I don't intend to be here long then. For some reason, his response seemed to remind her of something. She stepped toward the car, digging in her front pocket to pull out a jingling set of car keys. The action tugged the denim low, way too low, giving him a glimpse at the barbed wire tattoo circling her hips and the edge of sheer black panties. Beck's mouth went dry as the desert he'd returned from. And just when he thought it couldn't get any worse, she popped the trunk and lifted it. Her stomach muscles stretched. The shirt, was it even a shirt? Gliding up her taut stomach and tightening over her high breasts. Beck swung the bag off his shoulder and held it over his lap before she could witness his reaction to her body. His hard-on was becoming a serious problem. It wouldn't go away as long as Kenna was in the vicinity, and they still had the car ride to get through. Throw your bag in the trunk. No thanks. I think I'll hang on to it. She lifted an eyebrow. The passenger side of my car will barely fit you, let alone all your earthly possessions. If you don't mind, I'll try and make do. With a shrug, she slammed the trunk and headed for the driver's side door. Letting loose a relieved breath, he made his way to the opposite side. Keeping the bag in place with one arm, he opened the passenger door and immediately admitted she'd been right. Barely enough room for him and his bag, not to mention the vicious wood he was sporting. Seeing no other choice, he dropped down into the seat, wedging the canvas bag between his thighs, the leather upholstery groaning beneath him as he did so. He looked over at Kenna to find her battling a smile. Seatbelt. Heck. With considerable effort, he managed to wrap the strap around himself and the bag as Kenna watched with open amusement from the driver's side. Once the belt clicked into place, she threw her right arm over his seat and started to back out of the parking spot. Beck caught a glimpse of her straining breasts and decided it best to stare up at the ceiling, but not before his erection grew swollen enough to steal oxygen from his lungs. They exited the parking lot and turned onto the road. So, she said, what did you miss most while you were gone, Major? Beck answered honestly, even though concentration was difficult. My sister. She's a nurse here on base. My dog, Moses. Buttered popcorn from the movie theater. My mother down in Georgia. Not in that exact order, mind you. My mother rates higher than popcorn. I hope so. 
She adjusted the air conditioner, not that he could feel it as his bag blocked the vent. Too bad, he could use cooling down. You're headed back to Georgia? Yes, ma'am. Kenna, he corrected himself. Peach farming. Uh, what? He smiled at her confused expression, relieved she'd given him something to think about besides his wayward anatomy. My family has been in the peach farming business for six generations. I'll be taking over operations from my grandfather, soon as I make my way down south. Peaches, she murmured. Peaches, a dog, mama, and popcorn. If you tell me you don't have a girl waiting for you back in Georgia, Major, I won't believe you. His neck grew hot, an uncomfortable pit yawning wide in his stomach. There's no girl. That wasn't entirely true. There had been a girl at one time, but there wasn't any longer. And while he didn't feel the same regret he once had over it, heck, remembering her face got harder over time. Discussing it in front of Kenna would only lead to pity, embarrassment. Two things he didn't want to feel from anyone, let alone this gorgeous, confident girl who'd probably never faced a single challenge in the romance department. Beck could see her need to press battling with her nonchalance. You sure about that? He started to say yes, he was sure, but he stopped himself. Since that day a year ago when he'd received the Dear John letter from back home, he'd unburdened himself to no one. Today marked a fresh start away from the pressures he'd faced overseas and the tragedy he'd been living with on his conscience. Life after his service. While he might have mentally moved on in most aspects, the failure still sat heavily on his shoulders, and he wanted to be free of it. Once Kenna dropped him off, she'd probably speed away, his name flying out the window of her muscle car along with his sob story. He eyed her. What was the worst that could happen? She pretended to be sympathetic and race back to her boyfriend? Sweet Jesus, he didn't like the idea of her crawling back into those sheets with a boyfriend. The unexpected flare of jealousy propelled the truth out of him. Mary was my high school girlfriend. We'd been going together since freshman year, followed each other to the University of North Georgia. Everything was fine, until I took the ASVAB test. He still recalled being summoned out of class to discuss his unusually high results on the military aptitude test with a recruiter. After that, everything happened so fast. I was shipped out before the ink dried. I know the test. She measured him with a look. That explains how you've been promoted to major so young. All due respect, Kenna. 26 isn't young when you've been where I have. He barely managed to keep his gaze from dropping to her parted thighs on the seat. Speaking of, how old are you? Her grin was pure mischief. Twenty-two. Oh no, this girl was too young to be lusting after, wasn't she? As if she could sense the direction of his thoughts, she hauled him back to the present. Tell me about Mary. He swallowed unable to believe he was sharing the story out loud. Mary was the pastor's daughter in our town. We were, 
She was waiting for me. He waved a hand, and then she didn't. Kenna pursed her lips. Like, waiting until you came home to get married? Had he turned green? He felt green. Yes, for marriage and waiting in general. For other things. We both were. He saw the moment everything clicked into place. Her eyes widened. Yup, she was transporting a virgin. A cuckolded one at that. Oh. Oh, wow. She was silent a full minute. So Mary, oh God, the Virgin Mary, was waiting for you to come home so she could give you her flower, but someone else plucked it. Do I follow? That's about right. He could see the barracks in the distance, telling him the ride was almost over. Half of him was relieved, the other half oddly nervous about her leaving. When did you find out Mary had done that to you? She sent the letter about a year ago, although it might have been going on longer, I don't know. Kenna pursed her lips. Most men wouldn't have wasted any time finding out what they'd been missing. She slid him a glance. Why not you? I'd already waited nearly a decade. I figured one more year wouldn't kill me especially when there were men and women fighting for their lives and losing every single day. Men like his childhood friend, Xander, who Beck had sent on his final mission. What did I have to complain about, you know? There might have been opportunities if I'd looked for them, but I didn't want to. It felt wrong. Beck was surprised to see they'd pulled up in front of the barracks. Kenna looked a little shocked herself, as she shifted the car into park. I'm sorry, finding out in a letter. That really shouldn't have happened to someone like you. Hey. He sent her a half grin, hoping to dispel the heaviness he'd created in the car. It was suddenly important he not leave her with a negative impression of their short time together. I'm here on solid ground, ain't I? Living and breathing. That's more than a lot of soldiers can say. Beck took one last look at her pretty face, memorizing her upturned top lip, wishing he could get one last peek at the glowing green eyes hidden behind her sunglasses. Her stubborn chin. It felt wrong to leave her, but what choice did he have? She wouldn't very well want to date the pathetic, betrayed virgin he'd revealed himself to be. Even if she did, he only had four days at Black Rock before flying back to Georgia. Goodbye, Kenna. He scratched the back of his neck. I must have done something right along the way to earn a ride from such a pretty girl, huh? You take care now. A lump stuck in his throat as he heaved his bag through the door and climbed out of the car. Chapter Two What the ever-loving fuck just happened? Kenna stared out the windshield of her car, watching Beck climb the concrete stairs leading to his home for... How long? A day? A month? They hadn't gotten around to the particulars of his stay. 
There'd been no real small talk, had there? No, he'd bared it all in the span of ten minutes. Just do not pass go, do not gawk at the magnificent virgin in the passenger seat. Because as she watched him move with a mixture of unassuming grace and innate confidence, she could freely admit that, yes, he was indeed magnificent. The set of his shoulders, the sturdiness of him, said this was a man who moved mountains if he put his mind to it. No, there was no if about it. He had. Or at least, he'd managed to shift something mountain-like inside her in a mere ten minutes. What was she supposed to do with these sucky, yucky feelings? Just watch him disappear into the barracks, effectively letting him get away with it? People, men especially, usually took one look at her stormtrooper meet Cindy Lauper look and wasted no time lobbing innuendos at her head like mud-covered softballs. She never cared, because those dudes all blurred together in a rippling sea of douchebags. This guy wouldn't blend. He'd confided in her, and she was heavy with that responsibility. She liked being heavy with that responsibility, which made no damn sense. At the top step, Beck turned his head, catching her gaze through the windshield. She would go to her grave, thankful that no one was in the car to hear the noise that left her mouth. It went something like, Oh, no. If he'd managed to keep the entreaty from those intense blue eyes, she might have driven off and endeavored to forget about Major Beck Collier, virgin extraordinaire. But it was there, even if he didn't realize it. He needed someone, someone kind and compassionate. That someone definitely wasn't her, but he sure as shit needed someone and there was no one else around. She watched him tug a single key from his canvas bag and open the door. He ducked beneath the doorframe and vanished a second later. Kenna didn't realize her fingers were digging into the steering wheel until they started to hurt. A sense of urgency danced in her ribcage, fluttering rapidly, slowly climbing into her throat. God damn it. She swiped a hand through her dark, messy hair before pushing open the driver's side door and stepping out. The morning chill had begun to dissipate, the ground soaking up the minimal heat and reflecting it onto her denim-clad legs. This parking lot was usually buzzing by now, but the Sunday silence amplified the sound of her boots clumping along the asphalt, echoing the nervous knocking inside her ribcage. On the second floor, she could see Beck had left the door slightly ajar, almost as if he'd hoped she'd follow. Please let that be the case. Otherwise, this move was a smidge on the creepy side. She'd only signed on to be his transport, not his kick-it buddy. Decision is already made, Kenna. Too bad she didn't have a clue what she would do once they were in the apartment together. She had no game plan or exit strategy. 
but she knew driving away would feel awful if she didn't do something. So she followed in his footsteps up the stairs, like one of those cartoon characters floating along on the aroma of fresh-baked apple pie. Or peach pie, as it were. Hardy har, Kenna muttered, stopping outside the door. Since when did she hesitate to do anything? To celebrate her 18th birthday, she'd gone streaking at the annual Army-Navy football game. Scaled the local water tower, spray-painting Kenna was here with beer on the side. As a welder, she worked with fire for fuck's sake. Being nervous around a virgin was flat-out unacceptable, even if he was Bigfoot-sized. After a full-body shake to loosen her nerves, she pushed the door open. When she saw back, her chest squeezed so tight, she swore it was wringing itself dry. He stood still in the center of the dim, dull, undecorated apartment, bag at his feet. His hands were propped on his hips, head tipped forward. Lonely. He looked so lonely. The wrongness of that rose like an angry tide over her, and immediately, she had a game plan. Although, it felt nothing like a game plan. Kenna squared her shoulders and breezed into the apartment, beelining for the kitchen. If someone hadn't stocked the place with basic food staples for this man, she was going to raise hell next time she saw her father. I decided to hang out for a while, Major. You're welcome. She tugged open the refrigerator door, pleased to see a loaf of bread, butter, cheese, a six-pack. You hungry? She didn't wait for his answer, but started piling ingredients onto the counter. Thank God she had something to do with her hands, because after a full minute, Beck still hadn't answered. Bad move. This had been a bad move. For all she knew, he had plans, or Kenna. His gruff voice came from right behind her, and the fluttering in her ribcage moved lower, so she didn't turn around in case it showed in her expression. Yeah? You don't have to do this. I can make myself a sandwich. You shouldn't have to. She threw a pack of craft singles hard onto the counter and crossed her arms. Someone should be here to welcome you back. It's not right. The stretch of silence was driving her crazy, so she turned to face him and forgot how to inhale. Starved. He looked starved for something other than food. His pupils had swallowed the blue of his eyes, throat working up and down, even as he kept his gaze determinedly above her neck. Who was this man? It was my choice. He said, my choice not to burden anyone, not just yet. Kenna took a step closer, and he sucked in a breath. God, the effect she was having on him. It thrilled her, made her legs go weak. But at the same time, she felt his acute pain, frustration. You don't seem like the type to be a burden, she muttered. The exact opposite, actually. I appreciate you saying so. There it was. He slipped, 
his attention falling to her breasts for the barest of seconds before racing back up. When he spoke again, his jaw was so tight, she could hardly understand him. But it ain't true. What I came back with, what I failed to do, it'll be a burden on everyone soon enough. Curiosity demanded she question him, but his words stopped her. She was the queen of avoidance and understood his need to delay the inevitable. Whatever it was, she also knew exactly how to distract him from thoughts of being a burden. It was why she'd followed him upstairs, wasn't it? Yes, she could admit that now. Admit to this irrefutable need to smooth his frayed edges, to make up for the betrayal he'd experienced. It was this man inspiring the need to provide solace. No one else could have done it. Kenna reached down and took his hand, leading him from the kitchen. As they passed through the brown-on-gray living room, she scowled, hating the dust motes in the air, the lack of character. She knew the moment Beck realized she was leading him to the bedroom because his breath began rattling in and out behind her. His hand tightened around hers, as if he wanted to pull her to a stop, but couldn't find the will. When they cleared the threshold, Kenna let go of his hand and kicked the door shut. He shook his head as she towed off her boots and slowly approached. What are you doing? She pushed him into a sitting position on the bed, raked her fingers up his massive thighs. I'm welcoming you home, Major. Beck reached deep inside himself, searching for the extra slack in his rope. Can't find it, can't. He'd reached the end. Resisting her might have been possible before she touched his legs, but no one had ever touched him there on purpose. Not so close to his dick. Christ above, was she going to touch him there? He held his breath, head falling back on his shoulders as her touch inched higher, higher. Please touch me, grab me hard. Just before she reached his lap, her hands detoured up the front of his uniform jacket. Beck released a shaky exhale, and she laughed softly, knowingly. When she reached the top, he tipped his head forward again to watch her undo the buttons. One by one, she popped them open, green eyes steady on him as she worked. His severe disappointment that she hadn't touched his throbbing erection gave way to awe. What was this gorgeous, electric girl doing here with him? Her face was mere inches from his, her mouth so ripe, so delicious looking, while at the same time a little bad. The kind of mouth he dreamed about at night, alone in his bunk as he stroked himself off. He shouldn't be thinking of her, parts of her, as an object. What was wrong with him? Hot, I'm so hot, need more than my own hand. Nothing is working anymore. Kenna pushed the jacket off his shoulders and down, leaving his hands tangled in the sleeves at his back. 
He started to free his hands, but she stayed him with a head shake. Major? Yeah. He swallowed hard. Yes. She moved closer between his outstretched thighs, stroking her nails over his shaved head. It felt so damn good, he moaned. A moan cut off by what she said next. You can look at my body. As if magnetized, his hungry gaze landed on her breasts and devoured. They weren't good girl breasts, the kind that girls of his recollection hid beneath white cardigans in church. Kenna would have been called a sinner if she'd walked into his old church, no matter what she was wearing. She didn't have breasts. She had tits. Naughty, up to no good, made to bounce tits. The kind he'd seen in skin magazines or in high quality porn when he broke down every so often and watched. They were pushed up in leather, exactly as they were meant to be. Heck, if he tugged her top down a mere inch, her nipple would pop free. The thought of licking her little peaks while she sat on his thighs sent another bolt of uncomfortable lust straight to his dick, forcing him to shift on the bed. Kenna, I've never seen anything like you, he ground out. But I can't look anymore, or I'll embarrass myself. She surprised him by leaning in and kissing the corner of his mouth. Nothing you do or say here will be embarrassing. Then she dropped to her knees. Beck's cock surged against his fly with such intensity, his hands untangled themselves from his jacket with frantic movements so he could grip his aching length. He had no choice, would have done anything to ease the agonizing throb. His gaze shot to hers, dreading the judgment he'd find there as he squeezed and released, stroked through his restricting pants. These uncontrollable urges of his had become too much. No matter how often he denied them, they never stopped, only gaining intensity. He witnessed no judgment on her face. Instead, he saw pleasure, seduction. She liked watching him touch himself. Jesus, she did. Beck found himself widening his thighs and leaning back on one elbow so she could watch. Just having her attention centered there was going to be enough to finish him. More, more, just a little more. But before he could start that final ascent, she removed his hand, replacing it with her own. His elbow gave out, and he fell back on the bed, thighs shaking, stomach clenching. Have you ever had a woman's mouth here, Major? No, he croaked. Please, I know I shouldn't ask, but please, I'll do anything. He forced himself to lift his head so he could watch her unfasten his belt, work his button, unzip his fly. The lessening of pressure wrenched a groan from his throat, but nothing on his earth would ever compare to seeing his stiff dick in her grip. The softness of a woman's, no, not just a woman, Kenna's hands put his own to shame. 
Pre-cum leaked from the tip the first time she stroked her fist from base to head as his chest shuddered in and out on harsh breaths. She missed out, didn't she, sweetheart? She looked up at him under heavy eyelids. You're going to make some woman very happy with this. Her pink tongue skated over the tip, and his hips jerked wildly on the bed. Darlin', darlin', please, I'm hurtin', I'm hurtin' all over. Jesus, he'd never called anyone darlin' in his life, and who the hell cared? He reached down and wound a fist in her hair because he couldn't not use her as an anchor. Is this okay? Hold on tight, she whispered, before sucking half of his erection into her mouth. Beck shouted the vilest of curses at the ceiling, swore his life was coming to an end. Every ounce of feeling in his body raced to his already sensitive cock, swelling it inside the sweet heat of her mouth. That mouth, that mouth that was designed for sinning, hummed around him as it worked, the vibrations hitting his balls like lightning strikes. Savoring noises that polarized and woke a beast inside of him at the same time. His survival was in Kenna's control, and he gave it over without a moment's hesitation, trusting her to end the torment. In that moment, she was everything. His sin, his salvation, his caretaker, all of it. Your mouth. God, your mouth. You... Just you, Kenna, have needed you so bad. Every last thought bled from his mind when she took him to the back of her throat. She beat him off with several quick strokes as she sucked back to the tip and his very consciousness wavered. Nothing had ever felt this unbelievable. Nothing. It didn't seem real, yet it was the most tangible thing he'd ever experienced. Never stop. Never. Keep doing that. Suck. Just suck it hard for me, the way I've been dreaming. His fists tightened in her hair. Please, Kenna, please. Again, again, I'm going to. Beck broke off with a roar as blinding pleasure ripped through his middle. He lost control of his body, hips pumping upward, trying to wring every last glimmer of perfection from Kenna's mouth. Her fingernails dug into his thighs, and she moaned around him, taking everything he had and more. The more he hadn't known existed until now. The pain in his stomach faded into a dull memory, muscles practically liquefying him onto the mattress. It was impossible to wrap his mind around the stunning relief. So he scooped Kenna off the floor and onto his lap and held her, inhaling her incense scent in greedy gulps, knowing he would equate it with pleasure for the rest of his life. And he was glad for it. But the sweeping relief vanished when he became aware of her movements. She shifted in his lap hands clenching and unclenching in the material of his shirt. Now you, Kenna, he growled, tipping her flushed face up. Show me how to do that for you. Her nod was jerky, gaze refusing to find his. When we wake up, okay? 
sleep. He couldn't sleep knowing she was experiencing the same discomfort he'd been afflicted with. Not a chance. No, I need you better. Hoping he wasn't going too far, Beck pushed her thighs open, wincing at her moan. Oh God, please, let me take care of it. My hands, my mouth. No, she blurted, softening her refusal by rubbing circles onto his chest. I'm not ready just yet, okay? She seemed ready to him, beyond ready. But he'd rather saw off his arm than push a woman toward anything she didn't want. Even if the idea of leaving her wanting sort of felt like both arms had already been sawed clean off. Damn it, he should know what to do here, how to fix her. It hurt to swallow. When we wake up? Yes, she breathed. He reclined back onto the mattress, taking her body with him. He swore there was no way in hell he'd fall asleep. But then, he'd never have Kenna curled up underneath his arm. Never had her rub her face on his shoulder. Never felt her tuck her small feet between his legs. Home. I'm finally home. That was his last conscious thought before he fell asleep. Chapter Three Kenna stared through the lens of her helmet at the two pieces of cut metal she was welding together, but found herself getting lost in the blue sparks. She set her welding gun down and slumped onto the workshop stool. From across the space, she could feel her friend Darla watching in that quiet way that used to unnerve her, but right now only served as an irritant. Feeling irrationally restless, she pushed her helmet up and studied the half-completed sculpture sitting ten yards away on an elevated pedestal. Yesterday, the idea of finishing the piece of artwork that would be displayed in a local park had imbued her with a sense of accomplishment. But nothing was penetrating her preoccupied state of mind today. Not even Darla, who sat perched on the adjacent workbench, tracing the spine of a thick book with a single finger. Probably Tolkien, or something else that involved a Middle-earth-like setting. It was Monday afternoon, and her friend had just broken free of second-grade hell, hoping to catch Kenna in the workshop, as if she'd be anywhere else. These days, she seemed to spend every free second in the dark workshop, working on various orders from around the country. When she wasn't chauffeuring giant, sweetly complicated men around base, and subsequently giving them a sexual education, that is, or the beginnings of one. Before she'd crept out the apartment door and burned rubber getting out of the parking lot. Totally healthy. She wasn't too proud to admit she'd gone home afterward. Rifled through her sock drawer for the perfect vibrator, flipped it to the highest setting, and gone to town. Because, holy mother of blowjobs, she hadn't even been the one receiving pleasure, and yet she'd never, never been hotter in her life. The way Beck had begged, twisted on the bed, 
yanking on her hair and gasping in such a purely masculine way. She'd shivered the entire time. Not only had lust burned her from head to toe, there had been unmistakable power. Power in being the first for him. However, something beside Beck's wood had popped up. A connection, a passing of trust. An idea far too emotional to acknowledge, so she was hell-bent on ignoring it. But Beck didn't want to be ignored. A day later, and she still felt guilty for leaving. More than guilt, though. She couldn't shake the intuition she should have stayed. And done what, Kenna? Found out more about his sweet potato-eating, aw-shucksing life? The last thing she wanted was to get caught up with some peach farmer who missed his dog. They had nothing in common, except their apparent love of getting him off. Oh, um, hi over there? Darla hopped off the workbench, clutching Tolkien to her chest. You can't think that hard while holding a blowtorch. It's a hazard, and I'm not wearing the appropriate footwear to run from a structural fire. Kenna eyed her friend's plaid clogs, complete with metal spikes on the heel, and admitted Darla was right. She'd be doomed. Where do you even find shoes like that? Don't make me explain the internet again. Kenna removed her helmet and ran a rag over her sweaty head. One time, one time I have trouble downloading a file, and I'm suddenly classified as a computer illiterate granny. Nah. They teach grannies the internet now. They traded an exaggerated smirk. Okay, fine. I'm done for the day. Disaster averted. I'll be the judge of that. Darla propped her slight hip against Kenna's workstation. What has you thinking so hard? Saturday night we ate pizza and watched The Hobbit, against my will. And today you've gone from sporty spice to scary spice. Jesus, I can't take the Spice Girls rating system today. Kenna melted off her stool and clomped toward the mini fridge for a bottle of water. How long had she been working? I'm just bogged down with work orders. It has me stressed. What did you do yesterday? The water bottle paused in its ascent toward her mouth. Ah, the hell with it. She was too tired from her sleepless night to lie convincingly. Not to mention, her astute friend would get it out of her eventually, so this was merely a time saver. Hooked up with a virgin who just landed back at base. Started to make him a sandwich, but, uh, yeah, right. What? I make the dopest sandwiches. Darla calmly set down her hardcover book on Kenna's vacated stool. Kenna. I've known you for four years, and you've never hooked up on base. Not so much as a kiss on the cheek from a soldier. She let her words hang in the air for a beat. You are religious about leaving base when you want male company. The whole thing with your mother. Hey, Kenna laughed a little too hard. This is getting a little deep for a Monday. Maybe I just decided to switch up the old routine. Nothing to be alarmed about. I'm not alarmed. I'm just surprised. Darla's red painted mouth lifted on one side. 
Who was the lucky anomaly, you sly dog? Ugh, you sound like a dirty old man. Kenna attempted to hide her reddening face by pulling the protective leather apron over her head. Seriously, it doesn't matter. He's going back to Georgia and I'll never see him again. It was just a thing. A thing? Yeah. Kenna waved her hand. A thing. A virgin thing is so not your thing. Oh yes, it was. It was so her thing, she couldn't think about it without contemplating another run for her sock drawer. Big, muscled thighs, his voice cracking, not an ounce of male bullshit, just pure awe and gratefulness. His all-out roar when he came, the way he'd cradled her to his chest afterward like a precious artifact. Damn. No thinking about that, remember? Speaking of male company, we need another road trip soon. Kenna skirted past her friend and started to clean off her cluttered workbench. Darla was right. She'd broken her rule. Memories didn't fade at Black Rock, and her mother's loose reputation continued to linger. Kenna got a kick out of dressing provocatively while never, ever letting a single soldier lay a hand on her. Maybe it signaled her twisted sense of humor, but it was Kenna's little way of punishing them for judging her mother for behavior deemed acceptable for men. Yeah, she'd burned her rule book last night. Killed it dead. Now, even making the suggestion they go to a neighboring town, far from the base gossip mill, felt somehow disloyal and completely unappealing. Bad. Very bad. How about tonight? Darla's face adopted its stern teacher countenance. On a school night? Come on. Kenna's cell phone vibrated in the back pocket of her jeans. She fished it out between her thumb and forefinger, read the display name, and smiled. Father, hi. Kenna. His gruff, no-nonsense voice boomed down the line. Staying out of trouble? Her heart sank a little. Yes, sir. That wasn't a lie, but she deserved the question. In the not-so-distant past, the lieutenant general's phone call would have gone unanswered because she would have been busy getting up to no good. Acting out, her school counselors had said. At the ripe old age of 22, she could look back and agree. Following her parents' divorce, her mother had moved off base, which had led to Kenna being passed around every three days like a piping hot potato. She'd embraced her new role as a seeming nuisance by burdening her parents at every turn. Running away, getting picked up for public intoxication, shoplifting. It all ended five years ago when her father had a heart attack. Something miraculous had happened. The invincible lieutenant general had begun to need her. During his recovery, Kenna had moved in permanently, become his right hand, cooked for him, cleaned, taken him to physical therapy, and administered his medication. The two of them had grown closer in their own subtle way, although she now wondered if her imagination had invented that bond. As soon as her father was back on his feet, she'd been sent to live with her mother. 
Unfortunately, by then, her mother had moved on and married her boyfriend and gotten pregnant. Kenna had been on her own ever since. That's how she intended to keep it. Because while she loved her parents unconditionally, she knew what happened when you loved someone too much. They only loved you back until your usefulness ran out. So instead of pretending she wanted that shiny, romantic future like everyone else seemed determined to have, she left base every few months, met some drunk ex-frat boy with a chip on his shoulder, and engaged in a meaningless one-night stand. It worked for her, and no one got hurt. Glad to hear it. Her father broke back into her confidential thoughts, making Kenna cringe. Think about puppies or unicorns. I need you here for dinner tonight, please. 1900 hours on the nose. We're having a guest. Yes, sir, she responded tonelessly, although hearing he wanted her around filled her chest with helium. Her father might have, in essence, kicked her ass out, but that specter of the friendship they'd developed still loomed. Do you need me to come early? I can throw something together. No, thank you. Tina has it covered. Tina, her father's new wife. She and Kenna were cordial, but they didn't exactly exchange chatty text messages or do makeovers on each other. Apart from the day Tina had exchanged vows with the lieutenant general in their landscaped backyard, Kenna hadn't even been invited over once. Maybe that would change after dinner tonight. Should I bring- We have everything. Just don't be late. She nodded, even though he couldn't see her. I won't be late. See you later, sir. When she hung up, she ignored the sympathetic look from Darla. Chapter Four Beck sipped the whiskey he'd just been handed from Lieutenant General Sutton. Truth be told, he never much cared for spirits. The occasional beer or two during a football game seemed to fit the bill fine without hindering his ability to think. But he welcomed the unfamiliar burn of whiskey now because the taste reminded him of Kenna. If that wasn't a warning shot, he didn't know what was. The girl made him think of being drunk and out of control, made him want to get that way. Who needed the ability to think when his brain seemed determined to keep her image dangling in front of his eyes like a carrot. Flashes of her sparked in front of his eyes now. The feel of her mouth, the weight of her in his lap. Pathetically, he even thought of how she'd almost made him a sandwich. He wanted to pin her down and ask her why she'd wanted to make him a sandwich. Wanted to go back in time and let her make the darn thing. Clearly. The whiskey was already taking effect. And okay, he might have also felt the need to indulge tonight for more than one reason. Chiefly among them, the lieutenant general had invited him for dinner, wanting to congratulate him for his role in the evacuation of five army POWs. Scouting their location, placing surveillance on the makeshift prison, leading the extraction, despite the mission being compromised by a major explosion. He didn't want to be honored, didn't want to be patted on the back for a job well done when he'd lost a good man on the very same mission. 
He banished the vision of Xander and locked out the upcoming meeting with Cullen, where he would have to relate news details he wanted only to forget. Back shifted to ease the pressure on his right side, as if the throbbing had grown worse because of the memories. Like a lifeline, he drew Kenna's face to the forefront once more. Why? Why would he put himself through the torture when she'd left him? Lord, he'd made a fool of himself in front of her, begging, pulling on her pretty hair, having no idea if he should touch her to make her stop writhing around on his thigh. She'd probably laughed her way out the door when he'd fallen asleep. Had she gone back to a boyfriend? Girls who looked and smelled and made sandwiches like her had boyfriends. When he realized his hand had tightened on the tumbler of whiskey with enough force to shatter it, he took a deep breath and loosened his grip. Lord, this aggression wasn't like him. His cool head had been a factor in earning him so many promotions. What was it about this girl? While they waited for the final guest to arrive, Lieutenant General Sutton was relating a story of his time on the ground during the Gulf War, speaking in the hushed tones people reserved for tales of ghosts and battle. Beck's mind struggled to distance itself, find a quiet place a million miles away from thoughts of where he'd just returned from. But he wanted to be respectful, so he forced himself to pay attention to every word. We didn't know it at the time, but we were the lucky ones. Sutton slapped him on the back. Same as you. Lucky enough to be alive with the life education most men aren't privy to. It'll serve you well, whether you know it or not. Beck nodded once. Thank you, sir. Ah. Uh, Sorry I'm late. A muffled female voice, followed by familiar booted footsteps, came from the front entryway. And Beck's body went screaming into high alert. All five senses sharpened the way they did before going into battle, his shoulders bracing for impact. He was experiencing deja vu, not because his subconscious was running this scene. No, because he'd expected it. Maybe not this exact way, but he'd expected to see her again. Would have gone to find her himself, if necessary. Kenna was the final dinner guest, but they were waiting for Sutton's daughter, Beck felt sucker punched as reality dawned. Kenna, the girl who'd gotten on her knees and pleasured him, was Lieutenant General Sutton's daughter. For the love of God. He thought he'd readied himself for Kenna to walk into the room, but he'd been ten kinds of wrong. No, she strode into view in combat boots and a miniskirt, long hair, hair he'd pulled piled on top of her head, and he just managed to catch himself before staggering back. It couldn't be typical, this impact she had on him, like ten smooth sets of hands stroking over his body at the same time. He shouldn't be anxious to get those green eyes on him, shouldn't regret he hadn't thrown her onto that damn bed yesterday, given her the kind of fucking he ached to dole out. The kind he'd watched on his laptop screen, 
where the female grew sweaty and moaned for the man to thrust harder, her ass shaking with the impact. No, he definitely shouldn't be thinking about that. If anything, he should be mad as all hell that she'd omitted her identity. But he couldn't muster it around the relief of seeing her again. She was busy digging in a grocery bag and hadn't looked up yet. So he used the time to straighten up, pull himself together, glue his gaze above her neck where it belonged, especially with her father standing at his shoulder. Jesus. I swear, I left right on time, but I... Kenna looked up, and the smile froze on her face. So she hadn't known either. Well, at least he wasn't the only one being caught off guard. With an obvious effort, she turned her attention to Sutton. I, uh, stop to get that beef jerky you're always going on about. The one- Thank you. Although, Tina picked it up for me this morning. Sutton patted his daughter on the shoulder, much like he'd done to Beck. I'd rather you'd been on time. Ah, you know me, unfashionably late. She dropped the grocery bag down to her side, throwing a glance at Beck. Just ask Major Collier. If I'd been any later to pick him up yesterday, he would have started walking. She widened her eyes slightly. Right, Major? Beck hit his surprise that she'd acknowledged their acquaintance in a sip of whiskey. I was grateful to have a ride at all on short notice. Thanks again, ma'am. That's right. I forgot you two already know each other. Sutton said, just as Tina joined them in the living room to take Beck's now empty glass and sail back toward the kitchen. Beck noticed she'd only offered a passing nod in Kenna's direction, and that Kenna didn't appear surprised by the less than welcoming gesture. I'll go make sure Tina has dinner in order, Sutton continued. Make yourself comfortable, Major. Kenna. The air left the room as soon as they were alone. She was both too far away and too close for his peace of mind. Questions hovered on the tip of his tongue, questions that she anticipated, based on her expectant, slightly defiant expression. But the bag of rejected jerky she'd brought looked so sad, dangling against her boot, and he didn't like the welcome she'd received. Not at all. Knew it had to account for the steel she'd put in her spine, the adorable way she lifted her chin. So he didn't ask why she'd kept her identity from him. Yes, because he didn't want to be predictable, but more so because he wanted to distract her from the tense undercurrents he'd felt running through the room. He needed her to feel welcome, even if it wasn't his place or his home. I'm not much of a fan of dinner parties. He cleared his throat into the silence. You ever hear of murder mystery dinner theater? She shook her head slowly, as if trying to discern his angle. There's a place down in Atlanta, Agatha's, I think it's called. From the time my sister and I entered middle school, my mother used to drag us there for our birthdays. These actors would put on a big whodunit on stage while everyone ate ribs. A spark lit her eyes. So bad it was good? Exactly. Oh, God, 
She's so damn pretty. And I'm stuck talking about dinner theater. We started off hating it every time. But then my mother, she'd start laughing. She'd laugh so hard, the actors would forget their lines. Soon, none of us could keep a straight face. He shrugged. I think that's why I can't enjoy dinner parties anymore. They pale in comparison. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, True Blue, but this one is going to keep the disappointment streak alive. Now, see, you missed the point of the story. Beck sidestepped an ottoman and risked a move in her direction. I was going to tell you that this dinner party already beat the others, just from having you walk in. The plastic bag of beef jerky hit the floor, spilling its contents. On reflex, Beck stooped down to pick it up, which was a grave mistake if he'd ever made one, because it put him eye level with her thighs. He tangled a hand in the plastic bag so he wouldn't touch her. Ducked his head so he wouldn't look either. Just a peek had been enough to dry his throat and make his dress pants feel three sizes too small. He started to shove the packets of jerky back into the bag, but stilled when he felt Kenna's hand brush over his shaved head. I told you, Major, you're allowed to look at my body. Not right now, I can't. His tone was harsh, so he softened it. Wouldn't be right in your father's house. She hummed in a low, soothing way that made him close his eyes. Not a lot of men would care. Those men aren't worthy of your time. He twisted the plastic in his fist. Speaking of which, I'd like to know if you're spoken for, Kenna. No, I don't let men speak for me. A few beats of silence passed, during which thick, consuming tension drained from Beck. Why aren't you pissed at me? She asked, her nails trailing down his neck and back up. For not telling you who I was. Her touch was torture, and he never wanted her to stop. Ever. But he forced himself to move away before he lost the battle and looked at her legs. Maybe even let his hands encounter that supple skin. I'm not pissed about that. I'm only curious why. Beck rose from his crouched position, watching her breath go shallow when he reached his full height. Didn't she like tall men? He hoped so. I'm only angry that you left. Before I could. Before you could what? She moved closer just close enough to graze his ribcage with her breasts and turn his cock to steel. What would you have done to me, Major? Breathe, man, in and out. I won't say the words under your father's roof. She traced his belt buckle with a single finger. But you would tell me outside? Only if you'll give me the chance to do what I say. Confusion and indecision flashed in her green eyes. I assumed you would go out last night to celebrate being back. Finding a girl to pick up where I left off wouldn't have been hard. She swiped a palm against her skirt as she stepped back. You didn't do that? 
I went out for a couple beers by myself. He hadn't wanted to, but the silent gray apartment had forced him out, just to encounter the noise to which he'd grown accustomed, back in the bustling army facility he'd lived in so long. He should have gone to find Colin, have the discussion he'd been putting off, but he'd wanted to give his friend one more night with a clear conscience. A luxury Beck didn't have. There were girls there, yeah, smiling and dancing. But I couldn't take my eyes off the door, hoping you might walk in. Jesus, she breathed. Stop saying things like that to me. Why? I, you should save those pretty sentiments for someone who will appreciate them. The flush on her cheeks told back she appreciated them just fine. But he wouldn't call her on it. Not just yet. She might get angry, and he had plans to kiss her this time around. So you want me to detail how I'd like to touch you? You want me to look at your body, but you draw the line at me saying nice things. That about sums it up. He scratched his jaw. You've given me something to think on, Kenna. Sutton swung open the kitchen door then, calling them to the table. Back threw a wink at Kenna and gestured for him to precede him. Kenna twirled a forkful of pasta and let it unwind. Her appetite had apparently gone on sabbatical, or the floating lust balloons bumping around in her stomach simply left no room for food. Although battling the urge to climb across the table and straddle the major's lap was eminently wrong, considering her father sat three feet away, that's exactly what she wanted to do. Highly unlike her in so many ways. She'd been at dozens of these dinners with her father, honoring one soldier or another. Mostly, it turned out to be an excuse for the lieutenant general to relate his own stories. And usually, the guest sent a discreet glance, or nine, at her cleavage throughout the meal. A perfect amount to remind her men only wanted one thing, thus justifying her plans to remain unattached. It wasn't a cynical practice, just a little reward for being practical. Seeing the male-female dynamic for what it was, a necessary function that rarely survived in the long term. Beck hadn't glanced at her rack once. Not once. He was a giant, sexy, unassuming phenomenon, and she didn't like it. Upstairs in the old brain chamber, that is. The upstairs chamber that housed intelligent thought wanted to put him in a clean-cut category, one that made sense and didn't throw her ideas about men into a freaking tailspin. Downstairs, however, downstairs liked his resolve very much. Couldn't wait to break through it when the timing was right. Shake him up again like she'd done yesterday. Those were the two key parts of Kenna she was comfortable addressing. Upstairs and downstairs. The middle, the middle was off limits. That clumsy, clunking organ in her chest shouldn't have sped up when Beck said sweet words. It should have disregarded them as a line, a ploy to get into her pants and finally lose that pesky virginity. And she might have pulled it off if he would just stop smiling that half smile at her across the table.
and start looking at her boobs and not her eyes. What was wrong with him? This bra was a man assassin, pushing those puppies up in a way that usually had members of the opposite sex groaning when she passed. She might as well be wearing a hockey jersey for all the attention back paid them. Oh, it was on, in more ways than one. As soon as they were alone, she would snuff out this wayward blip on the radar screen, and everything would make sense again. She'd slake her megawatt, frankly, embarrassing, attraction for Beck tonight. He would head back to Georgia in a matter of days with his newfound knowledge of the female body and set to work using it right away. Probably snatching up some chesty milkmaid, or whatever the hell they had on tap down there. She'd be nothing but a fond memory to him, and she could go back to meaningless road trip hookups every few months. Beck's gaze met hers. One dark blonde eyebrow cocked, as if she'd voiced the thought aloud. Could this man read her mind? Back in the living room, she'd gotten that sense. Best to remember he was apparently one of the army's sharpest minds. Not just a peach farmer, who not only remembered the manners he'd been taught, but stuck to them like gorilla glue. Are you sure you won't stay past Wednesday night ceremony, Major Collier? The mind-reading major gave a reluctant head shake. Much as I'd like to stay a while, sir, I need to be back in Georgia. My grandfather is getting on in years and needs help around the farm, harvesting the peaches and such. Her father wiped the corners of his mouth. I try to imagine a mind like yours going toward peach farming, and I just can't. We need you training new recruits here at Black Rock, passing on your problem-solving ability. All due respect, sir, I put in my time. His smile matched his good-natured tone. I think you'd be surprised how much strategy goes into farming. My mind won't be wasted. I'll just be switching focus. Kenna took a long sip of her Diet Coke, watching back over the rim of her glass. No matter how personal or unintentionally condescending her father's questions became, he kept his cool. Not a stutter or hesitation. He didn't have to think about his answers because he was telling the truth. Somehow, she didn't have a single doubt of that. Not for the first time since they met, she wondered who would land this man. How easy it would be to trust him if a woman allowed herself. During the course of the meal, she'd learned more about Beck's time overseas. His ability to find patterns and devise unique and often diplomatic ways to end crises. He'd had the option of coming home more than once, but had turned it down. Although Beck had mentioned to her father that going home and leaving behind his fellow soldiers hadn't felt right, Kenna had a feeling it was more. While the major might be unassuming, she had a hunch Beck knew his talent made a difference. The kind between life and death. There's a ceremony coming up? Kenna asked, surprising herself. She hadn't spoken since they'd sat down, unable to fit in a word edgewise around her father. Beck looked uncomfortable for the first time that night. There's a medal ceremony I've been asked to attend. Asked to attend? 
Her father interrupted with a rumbling laugh. He's the honoree. Major Collier is being presented with a silver star. Oh, she whispered, wondering why he'd never mentioned it. Wasn't an impending honor something a soldier would be proud of? Why did he look so uneasy? Congratulations, Major. Yes, congratulations, Tina echoed with a smile as she rose from the table. Kenna stood to help her father's wife remove the empty plates, but the older woman gestured for her to sit back down. More whiskey, gentlemen. Kenna noticed Beck frowning at her nearly empty Diet Coke. No, ma'am, he said. One was enough for me. It might be a short drive back to the barracks, but it's still driving. Her father leaned back as Tina took away his plate and disappeared into the kitchen. Have another, son. Kenna can drive you home. It's on her way to the garage. While her pulse began pounding in her ears, Beck's frown only deepened. Garage? I live in an apartment above a garage on the south perimeter of base, she explained, before her father could jump in. They let me use an empty warehouse downstairs for my work. What work is that? Had his voice gotten deeper? Kenna suddenly felt like they were the only two people in the room, everything else blurring into nothingness as he zeroed in on her, held her still under his regard. Oh God, she was going to drive him home. Just the knowledge that they would share the enclosed space of her car once more made her thighs squeeze together. I'm a welder. I create metal sculptures. The right corner of his mouth lifted. Yeah. Before she could answer, Tina stuck her head out from the kitchen. Joseph, I mean, Lieutenant General, there is a call for you. Colonel Wheeler. I'll take it in the study. Her father slapped his chair's armrests and stood. Back immediately followed his lead. I'm afraid this man is as long-winded as they come. He nodded at Kenna. It could be a while, so I won't keep you sitting here. Both of you get home safe. Back saluted her father, and the older man followed suit before leaving the room. Then they were alone again. The table seemed to shrink between them, as if tempting her to do as she craved. Crawl across it and launch herself at Back. He'd managed to hide every trace of desire for her during dinner. But how would he fare if they touched? His easygoing demeanor had departed the room with her father. His cheekbones appeared more pronounced and tinged with red. His hands curled into fists. Ready to go? She asked, inwardly cringing at the breathless quality of her voice. No. No? His eyes cut to the side, then back. If I stand up. You're going to see what happens when you look at me that way for over an hour, Kenna. What way is that? She could tell he was struggling not to look at her cleavage. Inside, she was begging him to, but his gaze remained locked on hers. Like maybe you're planning on doing something bad. Kenna could hear Tina washing dishes in the kitchen and knew from experience the woman wouldn't seek Kenna out or re-enter the room. Working as a tech specialist, 
Tina had lived on base during Kenna's wild streak and didn't seem prepared to forget about it anytime soon. She couldn't be more grateful for the woman's aversion to her now, though, because cracking Beck's determination had just become a challenge she couldn't refuse. He was an immovable rock staring her down from across the table, but she saw more. She saw desperation, pain, and hunger, all for her, and she needed to be the one thing that could shake him, save him, just for tonight. She wanted to be someone's requirement to go on breathing. When she rose from the table, he interpreted her expression right away, shaking his head. What are you doing? Without answering, she circled the table and trailed a finger across the massive breadth of his powerful shoulders. They began rising and falling, seeming to expand with each movement. It reminded her of his size as if additional thoughts were necessary. His obvious strength was the turn-on because it was kept so tightly leashed. She wanted to snap that leash. Whether or not he'd done it consciously, Beck had leaned back into her touch, leaving a gap of room between his body and the table. Kenna stepped into that space now, between his parted legs, and ran her hands up his muscled chest. Beck's head fell back on a rough exhale. Kenna, I've got a strong will, but you're testing the hell out of it. The column of his throat worked. This isn't right, not here. She looked down and saw the thick ridge of his erection, outlined where it lay against his belly. Anticipation sent dampness spreading between her legs. Need him inside me, need him to need me back. When you think about your first time, Major, she flicked open the top two buttons of her shirt. Am I on top, riding your big body? Or do you have me on my back, taking it hard? His tight-lipped groans and a shiver pulsing up her thighs. Don't make me say these things here. I'm trying to do this right. Trying to do what right? Be respectful to her father or something else? She didn't want to know, so she finished opening the trail of buttons and parted the thin material of her shirt. He managed to keep his gaze plastered to the ceiling until she unsnapped the front clasp of her bra. His head came up, eyes blazing as her bare breasts bounced free. Jesus Christ. His tongue dragged along his bottom lip like a man getting ready for a meal. But instead of feasting on her, he said, I could live off the side of you, darling. But if you don't put your shirt back on, I'll hold you down and do it myself. Her sex clenched at his words, the mental image of Beck angrily dressing her. I'll put my shirt back on if you answer my question. Kenna stepped closer, bringing her breasts within an inch of his mouth, and his entire body shuddered. What was the question again? Your first time. His puffs of breath made her nipples tighten. Me on top, or you? For a split second, 
She thought he might give in and suck one of her peaks into his mouth, but he remained in place. When I first saw you, I thought of, tell me, Major, she whispered hoarsely. Say all the bad things in your head. His swallow was audible. I wanted to hold you down and, and fuck you, without holding back. I wanted to push your legs wide open and fuck you while your nails made my back bleed. The words were rushed, out of breath. Even if you screamed, I didn't want to stop. Just wanted to pump and fuck until I stopped thinking and only felt you. His hand shot out to grip the sides of her open shirt, closing the material over her breasts with a heavy, relieved exhale. But I'd want you on top, Kenna. I don't think we could do it the other way. Wouldn't I hurt you, darling? You're so small compared to me. Very few times in her life had Kenna been struck speechless. Beck's graphic description of what he wanted to do with her blazed through her middle like a lightning storm. But the sweetness that followed, his covering her breasts, laid a bomb over the scorched earth left behind. She felt pulled in two directions, and each one was equally appealing. Sex with him wouldn't be as black and white as she'd hoped. The tingling in her neck said run, run away and don't look back. But when she remained silent too long, and a hint of vulnerability crept into his expression, she knew it would never happen. Messy or not, she was running head first into the oncoming storm. Chapter Five Beck studied Kenna from the passenger seat, wishing like hell she'd say something. See, this is why he kept his sinful thoughts to himself. Since Beck could remember, he'd been tested by desires that a good man had no right to feel. At age 14, he'd even gotten the nerve up to confide in the youth minister at his church. But instead of giving back a way to control the urges, he'd been instructed to ignore the need to rut. Not just to have sex, but to recreate the sweaty, flesh-slapping images his mind conjured up. He'd been told that they were the work of the devil, that lovemaking was a quiet, caring act shared between husband and wife. Over time, he'd learned to keep the thoughts at bay until late at night, in the dark, when they wouldn't remain caged any longer. It had worked well enough until Kenna had sauntered up to him at the landing zone, and mental hell had broken loose. Everything he'd said to her had been truthful. The afternoon he'd woken up to find her gone, he'd been so painfully erect, he'd been forced to ease himself before rising from the bed had been an option. She'd poked the sleeping bear inside him, and now it roared through his insides, looking for its mate. Last night in the bar, he'd only been capable of mustering a mild appreciation for other women, much like he'd felt for the female soldiers he'd encountered overseas. But he'd needed Kenna, only Kenna. Didn't even want to consider someone else's hands on him, or hers on someone else. Beck had to close his eyes and count to ten, surprised once again by the depth of jealousy the thought of her with someone else incurred. 
He was leaving Thursday morning, the day after the ceremony, leaving for good. There wasn't a man alive with the power of sight who wouldn't want her for himself. On top of being every male's sexual fantasy on two legs, she had a quick sense of humor. She was interesting, intelligent, mysterious. Knowing how quickly she'd be spoken for, he could already tell boarding that plane on Thursday would be like getting caught in a tunnel blast a second time. Worse. His dark realization was cut short when Kenna pulled up outside a greasy, dilapidated garage. Tummy don't live here. Please. Afraid so, Major. She cut off the car's engine. Still want to come inside, or have you changed your mind? I have not changed my mind. Great. Finally, he gets her talking, only to insult her home. I beg your pardon, Kenna. I didn't mean to come off rude. A smile entered her eyes. You're begging my pardon? Yes, ma'am. He looked back toward the garage, noticing the sign advertising brake inspections was seconds from plummeting to the ground. It just doesn't seem safe for a girl living alone is all. Doesn't your father object? I'm an adult, Major. I decide where to lay my head. She shrugged. Besides, I think as long as I moved out and gave Tina room to move in, I could have gone to the moon for all he cared. Beck experienced the same irritation he felt when the lieutenant general hadn't thanked her for the beef jerky. And then again, when Tina hadn't offered her a drink. I don't like you being treated that way. She stared through the windshield for a moment before returning her attention to him. Gone was the forlorn quality in her expression. Invitation had taken its place. You know, talking about this doesn't put me in a sexy mood. She unbuckled her seatbelt and leaned across the console, casting a net of her incense scent to drag him under. Her hand landed on his thigh, but it might as well have been his cock from the way it immediately strained against his fly. I want to hear more about what you want, what you told me back at the house. I liked it, Major. A lot. You ought to start calling me back now, Kenna. Lord, her breast swelled against her shirt as she leaned toward him. Seeing as how you're taking me home. Her hand skated higher on his thigh. Okay, back. That was it. Kenna saying his name blew a fuse in his head short-circuiting his self-control. A boom, boom, boom started in his ears as he yanked her across the console, dropping her firm little backside onto his lap. Every second of resistance he'd managed back in that dining room demanded repayment, and nothing could settle the debt save her. Before he knew his own mind, he ripped her shirt open and unclasped her bra growling as those rosy-peaked, bad-girl tits popped free. I'm going to suck them, need to suck them. He bent his head and dragged her right nipple into his mouth, drawing on it with a loud moan. Move around on my dick while I suck you, Kenna. I'm so hard. You make me so hard to be inside you. How is that possible when I don't even know what it feels like? 
She turned in his lap to straddle him, one palm smoothing down the side of his face. Take me upstairs and I'll show you. Her breathing was erratic, but she stopped after one mind-bending buck of her hips. Don't you know you make me just as achy? Awe and relief and lust battered him. I want to see that spot where you're achy. I want to look at you there, watch you touch it. I want to touch your pussy. Want to lick it. Kenna fell forward onto his chest, forehead dropping onto his shoulder. Beck, if you keep talking like that, I'm going to come before you get inside me. I don't think I want that to happen. With an iron will she continued to diminish with every hot breath against his neck, Beck pushed open the passenger door and stepped out, smiling through the pleasure pain of Kenna clinging to him like a lifeline. Ah, oh, hell. He liked that. Liked her compact body wrapped around his like a missing piece. Her curves accommodating his ridges. The valley between her legs, warm and inviting, settling on top of his throbbing dick. Tell me where I'm going, darling. He choked out. She ran her open mouth up his neck. There's an alley on the left. Staircase around back. Beck strode toward the alley unable to ignore how poorly lit and deserted it was. Anger and worry trickled through the permanent heat she'd inflicted on him. I don't like this. I don't like you here. She tugged on his ear with her teeth, and his stride faltered. Distracting me. It's working. For now. He stomped up the staircase, groaning at the way she slid up and down his bulging fly with each step. While we're on the subject of things I don't like, Kenna, I haven't even kissed your mouth. You can be damn sure that'll be happening before we go any further. Her mouth landed on his just as they reached the door. Sweet Lord above. If he'd thought Kenna simply walking into a room had an impact on him, he'd had another think coming. His back hit her front door air seeping from his lungs as she locked their mouths together and slowly dragged away, taking his bottom lip with her. Both of their mouths opened on cue for a pull of oxygen before melding together, meshing hotly, moving in a slow, sexual rhythm, matched by the pulsing between his thighs. As if she'd made an unexpected discovery, she climbed higher on his body. Thighs gripping his sides, hands holding his head steady as she delivered the kiss of his life. As soon as the notion rocked through his fevered brain, he reversed their positions, shoving her up against the door, determined to deliver the same to her. Their tongues tangled in an eager slide, and he finally let himself do what he'd been fantasizing about since yesterday. He reached beneath her skirt and manhandled her sinner's backside. He gripped the taut flesh and tightened his hold, lifting and stroking. She alleviated any fear he had of being too rough by moaning into his mouth, digging her heels into his waist. Kenna tore her mouth away. Inside, Beck, take me inside, she wheezed. If I didn't know any better, I'd think you'd done this before. A lot. Nah, darling, just you. 
He took the single key she offered, turning it in the lock. You make everything I do feel right. That has nothing to do with experience. Walking them into the darkened apartment, he kissed her collarbone, thinking maybe that's all to do with Kenna. Her legs dropped from around his waist. She turned before he could see her expression, but he knew he'd said too much. Shown his hand too early. When the light came on, there was a line of tension in her shoulders. No, he wouldn't let her shut him out after they'd come this far. Hadn't she said he made her ache too? When she'd taken off her bra, he'd never been more turned on in his life. Would it work in reverse? Figuring he had nothing, except everything, to lose, Beck started unbuttoning his dress shirt. When he'd nearly reached the bottom, Kenna turned, shifting in her boots. Her green gaze sparked like a firecracker when he tugged the hem from his waistband. What are you? Right before Beck let his shirt drop, he remembered the wound in his side and lifted a hand to hide it. Jesus, if this girl could make him forget the painful shrapnel wound, she could do anything. But he'd never willingly shown it to anyone, and he didn't want her pity. He wanted her to need him, needed her lust, her touch, anything but pity. Kenna came to him, Tension still visible in her shoulders, but it was a different kind. I thought you were in a support unit. Her hand hovered over the wound, as if trying to cure it. You saw action too? I did. Of course I did. He ran a thumb over her top lip, relieved to see her eyelids flutter. I wouldn't send men into a situation where I wouldn't go myself. She traced the edge of his wound with her finger. You're a good man, Beck Collier. Some woman is going to snatch you up one day and never let go. Something akin to denial speared his chest and spiked his temper. He tipped her chin up and stooped down to bring their faces close. Don't talk about me with some other woman when I came here to be inside your body, Kenna because I promise you this. He backed her toward the living room. I aim to get so deep inside you, neither one of us will think of anyone else for a damn long while. Ever again, if he had his way. Now get your clothes off and show me the only woman I have plans to fuck. Show me. A beat passed in the living room, where Beck thought he'd gone too far. Showed too early the secret, primitive part of himself he'd worked to suppress. Let more honesty slip out than was acceptable. It all vanished into the racing river of his pulse when she smiled, slow and sensual. You know, I thought you were all sugar when we met. She let her tattered shirt slide to the floor palmed her breasts in a way that nearly brought him to his knees. But you're just a little bad underneath the sweet exterior, aren't you? She swayed toward him, right into his space. He thought she might kiss him, but she nudged him backward instead, sending him down into a deep-bottomed leather armchair. Why don't we find out exactly how deep the bad goes, Major?
Out of self-preservation, Kenna pretended not to see the absolute possession in Beck's eyes as she removed her bra and kicked off her boots. If she let herself think about the hints he'd been dropping, her intuition that he wanted more than a one-night stand, her conscience wouldn't allow her to go through with it. Unfortunately, her body had zero choice in the matter. She'd known Beck was a large man, a handsome man, but then he'd gone and taken off his shirt. If she stared at his brick house body any harder, she'd need smelling salts to be revived. The angry wound in his side, the jagged, rough-hewn cut of his muscles made him rugged when she'd been expecting a teddy bear. Uh-uh, not Beck. Beck was ripped as shit, and that little display of anger he'd let slip through the cracks had made him unexpectedly dangerous. He was a coin with two very appealing sides, and she wanted to flip him, see where he landed. Since danger suited her need to keep this temporary fling as casual as possible, she would be anything but sweet. Memorable? Hell yes, but not sweet. When only her short black skirt remained, she used Beck's shoulders for balance. She placed her knees on opposite arms of the chair, leaving her center exposed for his perusal, shielded only by a sheer red pair of panties. Beck cursed under his breath, the muscles of his chest and abdomen shifting powerfully, making her even bolder. She took a moment to tease the hem of her skirt before sliding the material over her hips, bearing the wispy red thong that barely covered her center. You want to touch me where I ache, Beck? She nudged aside the red strip with two fingers, whimpering as they made contact with her sensitive clitoris. Her eyes tried to close at the flood of pleasure when she circled her nub once and pressed down, but she kept them open, on back. Right here, sweetheart? Yes, crust, yes. She slid her hands up to cup her breasts and squeezed, thigh muscles tightening at the delicious quickening in her belly. I'm all yours. Back shot forward, latching his mouth to her clit, sucking her panties and flesh into his mouth on a thunderous growl. Kenna screamed at the unexpected action, nearly losing her balance until his hands molded to her bottom, holding her steady as he sucked, licked. Oh, God. Her body convulsed, stuttering just on the edge of orgasm. Impossible. Too soon, wasn't it? He pulled back by the barest of inches, his rapid puffs of breath feathering over her flesh. D do you like this? Yes, keep going. Thank God, tastes so good. Beck made contact again, and Kenna's mind shut down, focusing only on the perfection of his suctioning mouth. He was a starved man who'd forgotten his last meal and needed sustenance. One of his brawny arms wrapped around her hips, freeing his other hand to slip between her thighs, a thumb brushing her entrance. As if he wanted her permission, but refused to stop tonguing her damp core long enough to ask. Yours, Beck. My body is yours. 
Word she'd never said to anyone. Would probably never say again. Don't think about it. Focus on him. What he's doing to you. Touch me. Move me. Enter me. Speak to me however it feels right. Everything you do will be right. She could feel something give way inside his big body. If possible, his mouth worked her harder, opening wide to draw on her flesh, then bathing her clit with his tongue. Two long fingers filled her, and she gasped. Yes, making eye contact with Beck as he broke away with a groan. Ah, Kenna. His voice was a bed of nails. I'm going to hurt you. I never knew. I didn't know you'd be so small. He wrapped his arms around her waist, buried his face against her stomach. I take back what I said. I don't want to make you scream. Don't want you in pain. Her throat constricted so hard, she couldn't draw air for a moment. But Beck's obvious physical torment snapped her into action. She lifted his face to meet hers. Unfasten your pants, Major. You won't hurt me. Their lips brushed. If it hurts a little, the good will outweigh it, okay? She kissed him long and deep. I showed you my ache. Now show me yours. His hands fell to his lap, bringing the sounds of leather sliding, his zipper descending. If I do something to hurt you. He broke off, shaking his head. Hey. As soon as his erection was free between them, large and beautiful, she pushed him against the chair back. You're the virgin. That's supposed to be my line. An intense glow lit his eyes. You're in deep with me. Kenna Sutton. I know, she whispered, hiding her shaken reaction to his vow by reaching for the unopened pack of condoms in her side table. But her trembling fingers gave her away. Beck took the box and ripped it open with his teeth, effectively replacing her embarrassment with another whopping dose of heat. He took out a foil wrapper, tore it on one end, and rolled the condom down his erection. I know this much from health class, he explained with a lopsided smile. Something pointy stuck in her throat, but she swallowed it with resolution. Thighs still spread wide, knees resting on opposite armrests. She took him in her hand, led him between her thighs, and sank down, inch by inch. Beck gritted out her name at the ceiling, his neck and arm muscles constricting. Kenna's thighs felt the strain of her position, but she refused to change it because, damn, 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 he couldn't possibly get any deeper. So huge and thick and smooth, amazing. He pressed against her inner walls, stretching her to fit him, and it hurt. But the hurt was glorious. Nothing compared to this, nothing. The need to move was fast becoming an undeniable yen, so she dug her fingers into the leather back of the chair and rose before dropping down onto him once again. Oh my God. You? Christ. Oh, Christ. You have no idea. He lifted his hips, bringing them both off the seat. It's too good. You're tight. So fucking tight, and I can't. 
You can't move like that. Do it again. Okay, darling? Again. Again. She'd never wanted to kiss a man during sex. But hell if she didn't want to make out with his flushed, masculine face. The promise of a too soon, blistering climax be damned. Back. Sweet, sexual beast that had been pacing his cage too long. Kenna twisted her hips, and pleasure spread like spilled ink in her middle. Never mind about the kissing. She'd only had this man inside her for 30 seconds, and her body was sprinting blindly toward relief. Liplock be damned. Kenna lifted and came down on him with a quick flick of her hips, moaning as Beck grew even harder inside her. I'm not leaving you in need again. Beck thrust up into her with a strangled groan. But I can't think when you're doing that. Can't think about anything except coming inside your body. Don't think, Beck. I don't want you to think. Reminding herself this was his first experience, Kenna took his hands and placed them on her backside, her breath leaving in a rush when he gripped her with punishing strength. Move me how you want me, Beck. Grind me down, bounce me, make me ride you slow. Do whatever makes you come the hardest. Sweat had broken out along his upper lip, his sexy, corded neck. I already know you're going to be the best of my life, Kenna. How do I make sure I'm the best of yours? Tell me. There's no one in the world like this guy. I like it hard, her voice wavered. Slam me down. Use my body to jack yourself off. His eyes closed briefly before they opened and scorched a path over her breasts, belly, thighs. You can't be real. You can't be. Even though she'd instructed him, Kenna wasn't prepared for what followed. With the flesh of her bottom clenched in his hands, he impaled her on his unforgiving hardness again and again. It started at a testing pace, but grew almost out of control. Her teeth rattled inside her mouth with each life-affirming impact. Beck watched her through eyes at half-mast, eyes that glittered with so much pent-up lust it staggered her. He tilted his hips, satisfaction conquering his expression when she moaned loud enough to shake the windows. Unbelievable. He was searching for her pleasure when this should have been about him, his first time. With the unimaginable sensations blasting her, she couldn't find the same selflessness. No, she'd never needed relief so badly. She held her fingers over Beck's mouth. Lick them. When he did, she asked, his tongue stroking her fingertips like their taste was incomparable, Kenna almost climaxed then and there. No more waiting. As Beck continued to slam her down on his erection, Kenna found her clit, and with two rough circles of her middle finger, she pushed over into oblivion. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, holy shit. Her legs spasmed violently on the armrests, moisture flooding over the spot her body joined with Beck's. So good, Beck. You're so good. A surprised whimper escaped her lips as he rose from the chair and flipped her over. No sooner had her back met the leather seat than her legs were secured over Beck's shoulders.
A savage drive of his length into her still contracting core stole a scream from her throat. Back! Anguish infiltrated the sexual urgency on his face. Am I hurting you? No, keep going, keep going. Wet flesh slapped together as he gripped her ankles where they rested on either side of his head and thrust. Thrust so hard, Kenna knew she'd feel it for a week. Scream then, he growled in her ear, hip starting to pump at a brutal pace. If it doesn't hurt, then scream. She had no choice, as another orgasm shuddered through her middle at Beck's unexpected aggression. More, more. She couldn't get enough. Wanted to be made to take everything he had to give. That's right, she breathed, barely able to hear herself over the roaring pulse in her ears. No holding back. Take out the frustration on me, in me. Jesus, stop, Kenna. His fingers dug into her ankles. I don't want this to end, but you're making it so damn hard. She responded with words even she couldn't comprehend. Again. He was going to make her come again, and she simultaneously wanted no part of it, while needing it more than life itself. You like it hard, darling. I should have known. She clenched around him, and he gritted his teeth around a groan. Leading me around by the cock with your sinner's body. Taking your tits out when I can't suck them. Bad girl. He bore down, grinding their joined bodies together. Use your body to jack myself off. What do you think I'll be doing every time I touch myself for the rest of my fucking life? Thinking about you, with your legs spread, asking to see my aching dick. Thinking about what those little red panties cover. He drove home his point by ripping the half-shredded thong from her body, tossing it aside. Kenna couldn't see or think or process anything but the raging pleasure drowning her. She dug her nails into his pumping ass, hard, feeling the skin break and merely digging deeper. Her body tightened and twisted, overcome by a tumult of lust so strong she couldn't breathe. It poured through her shaking limbs, gathered in her belly, and broke free. Back filled with little vision she had, head thrown back as he rammed himself deep one last time and went flying right along with her. Oh, Christ, Kenna, Kenna. The sight of such a robust giant of a man trembling imprinted itself on her brain, never to fade. Neither would the weight of him as he fell forward, gathering her close and whispering in her ear, out of breath. So beautiful. You know you're so beautiful and sweet, right, Kenna? I didn't mean those bad things I said. I just... Heart thudding double time in her chest, she covered his mouth with one hand. Nothing we do or say together is wrong. When his furrowed brow began to ease in degrees, she removed her hand. You were amazing, True Blue. That's kind of an epic understatement, actually. But my brain has left the building. When color flared in his cheekbones, something shifted inside Kenna. Something sharp and boulder-sized. It alarmed her so much, she jolted beneath Beck's huge frame. 
Before she could scramble away, he scooped her up in his arms and stood. Without instructing him where her bedroom was located, he found it on the first try, nudging the door open with his foot. He didn't bother turning on the light, but laid her down with exaggerated gentleness in the center of her clean-sized bed, which was laughable since he just full-on screwed her brains out. But she couldn't manage a laugh around the panic when he climbed into bed with her. You're staying? Yes, ma'am. She couldn't see his face in the darkness, but his breath feathered over her lips. And I wouldn't advise asking me to leave when I'm feeling this way. Her heart rioted. Thud, thud, thud. Which way is that? Like I've laid claim to what's mine. And I need to, to guard her now. A beat of silence vanished into the darkness. I can't put it any more plainly, Kenna. As her mind reeled, Beck drew her up against his chest, brawny arms wrapping around her body, one hand cradling her head. Oh, God. Her first sleepover. And it felt permanent. But nothing was permanent. This, especially, couldn't be permanent. Just as soon as she caught a few minutes of sleep, she'd figure out how to shake the guy. Drowsiness coupled with Beck's warmth dragged her down, making resistance futile. Just a few minutes. She was asleep 10 seconds later. Chapter six. Beck woke to the smell of incense and buried his face closer to the source. No, there were sheets, not Kenna. It smelled better on her skin, and he wanted to get a fix. Where was she? Beck cracked an eye open in the early morning light and searched for her across the bed. Not there. He sat up too quickly, causing his head to swim, but it gave him the second he needed to calm himself. They were in her apartment after all. She couldn't have gone too far. Even if the apartment was so silent and still, he could hear his own sprinting heartbeat. He untangled himself from the flannel sheets and stood, marveling how rested he felt. Lord, he'd slept like the dead after what they'd done. Had she been expecting him to wake up last night for round two? He wrapped a hand around his heavy cock and groaned. Round two was a definite possibility right now but a nagging intuition told him Kenna would still be in bed if that's what she wanted. Would he ever face another day without wanting what she'd given him last night? He doubted it. Doubted he'd want it with anyone else either. He'd always figured his first time would be a necessary evil, a jumping off point after which he'd get better, learn how to please a woman. But Kenna, she'd been pleased. More than that, she'd given him a glimpse at her vulnerability. He hadn't expected that, and the woman beneath had addicted him more than sex ever could. If she was still lying in bed, Beck worried he might have crawled on top of her and demanded to know every single thought in her head. So maybe it was a good thing he'd been given this time alone to think before going to find her. 
Beck pulled a throw blanket off the end of Kenna's bed and wrapped it around his waist. Unable to resist a quick look at her possessions, in the hopes it might give him some insight, he stopped in front of a framed picture on her dresser. A teenage Kenna in an oversized orange jumpsuit picking up garbage on the side of the road. She looked directly into the camera, her expression defiant, daring the person snapping the photograph to comment. He recognized that look. Growing up, his grandfather had owned a stable of horses, located just on the edge of the peach orchard. He didn't make a trade breeding, merely keeping them for pleasure riding and traversing the narrow orchard lanes. One afternoon, his grandfather had come home with a beautiful, unbroken filly whose previous owners hadn't even succeeded in saddling her. Beck could remember the wariness in her brown eyes, the way she'd reared back when anyone got too close. Stay away or else. At least, that's what Beck's childhood imagination had interpreted from the filly's wild look. About a week passed of his grandfather approaching the horse with a bridle with no success. Then one of the mares had gone into labor, a difficult one. Shocking everyone, including the vet, the usually standoffish filly had stood outside the mare's stall throughout the night, refusing to budge. Yeah, Beck had a fair idea that Kenna wouldn't take kindly to being compared to a horse, gorgeous as the filly had been or not. Be that as it may, he'd seen two sides of Kenna during the last couple days, whether or not she'd intended him to. Wild, wary Kenna, and a selfless, nurturing Kenna. The girl who'd flashed him in her father's house, and the girl who'd been outraged at his lack of a welcome home. The girl who'd traced his shrapnel wound like she was willing him to heal. Beck ran his thumb over the picture of Kenna stuffing garbage into a trash bag, wondering why she'd chosen to display this particular memory instead of a happy one. Did she have any happy ones? She better. He wouldn't appreciate knowing she'd been unhappy. With one last glance at the picture, he left Kenna's bedroom, already knowing he wouldn't find her in the apartment. He tried unsuccessfully not to stare at the armchair where she'd blown his mind hours before. The way he'd spoken to Kenna hadn't horrified her at all. On the contrary, what else about his tastes could he reveal without turning her off? Resolving to think about it later, he quickly dressed in the living room. He patted his back pocket to make sure he had his wallet, frowning when he didn't find it. There, on the floor. Beck stooped down to pick it up, wincing when he saw it was open. A photograph taken at his high school's homecoming dance stared back at him. In it, he had his arms around Mary. Had Kenna seen this? If she was already spooked by them spending the night together, the picture definitely wouldn't help his cause. The few words she'd spoken at dinner the night before were the only thing standing between him and alarm. Workspace. He remembered she mentioned that she had a workspace downstairs in the garage. On his way down the back stairs, he saw a flare of sparks through a plastic garage window heard a sound that called to mind harsh rain pinging off metal. She didn't turn around when he walked through the open door. A good thing, because the sight of her in frayed jean shorts, 
sexy lower back exposed, wielding a torch was just about the hottest thing he'd borne witness to in his 26 years. If her stiff shoulders and anxious energy weren't telling him loud and clear she wouldn't be receptive to touch, he'd already be working the button of her shorts, begging in her ear to let him give her an orgasm. His new favorite pastime. Beck gave her wide berth as he circled the work table, avoiding the blue sparks vanishing as they hit the concrete floor. She wore a mask, so it took an extra second for her to spot him in her peripheral vision. When she did, the spark ceased immediately, and the mask was pushed back onto her head. Morning, she said, with an impatient swipe at her face. Avoiding his eyes, huh? Okay, might have been expected, but it still made something spiky sit in his stomach. Morning, Kenna. He started to ask her how she'd slept, but a metal sculpture to his left, shining in a patch of sunlight, grabbed his attention. It stood nearly as tall as him and resembled a tree. The trunk had been fashioned from what looked like a car bumper whose edges had been rounded, reshaped to zigzag side to side. Pieces of metal in various shapes were attached at intervals, making him think of palm fronds. They'd each been painted a different vibrant color, and broken glass shards had been fashioned to the edges. Each component of the sculpture was striking on its own, but altogether, the effect was extraordinary. This is one of yours? A shuffle of boots behind him. Yeah, it's mine. He walked closer, seeing subtle nuances as he went. Where did you get the parts? Here at the garage, mostly. Scrap metal or discarded car parts. He turned to find her staring at him, but she quickly averted her gaze and began straightening tools on the work table. It's part of the reason I chose this place. Easy access to materials. Did you explain that to your father? No. Her surprise at his question was clear. He didn't ask. Beck approached the bench, much the way his grandfather approached the filly all those years ago. She seemed to be bracing herself to run if he tried to reach out for her. And damn if he didn't want to touch her so bad, his palms itched. Keep her talking while you figure out how to get the privilege again. Why do you enjoy doing this? Her gaze snapped back to his. What do you mean? I want to know why you love it. I never said I loved it. Kenna, no one makes anything that beautiful unless they loved every minute of the process. A hand flew to her mask, as if she was considering flipping it back down to cover her face but it dropped to her side after a beat. Thank you. I do love it, she mumbled. I guess I don't think pieces should be tossed in the trash because they have a dent, or they're not perfect like the shiny new parts. They still have a use if you take some time to look. I am looking. The words brushed the insides of his throat, seeking escape, but he swallowed them. They burned going down. Standing so close to her without speaking his mind got harder by the minute. It wasn't him. He might have an iron will when it came to most things, but apparently it didn't extend to her. There was a sense of urgency gaining strength, too. 
Leaving in two days. He was leaving in two days. Something needed to happen here, and while he didn't know what just yet, a wind pressed at his back, telling him forward was the only acceptable direction. I'm seeing you again, Kenna Sutton. Don't try and pretend different. Her mouth fell open. Pretty confident for a one-timer, aren't you? Beck ground his teeth together, commanding himself to be patient. Respectfully, darling, it might have only been once for me, but if I counted correctly, it was three times for you. A grin started to transform her mouth, but she banished it. Look, Major, I've slept in your sheets and seen my sweat cooling on your gorgeous skin. I've spent myself in your mouth and between your legs. Attempting to reel back his irritation, he very carefully placed his hands palm down on the table separating them. You'll call me Beck. Beck then, Kenneth said, voice hoarse. She snatched up the torch as if she had a mind to use it on him. It's natural to get attracted to the person you're with the first time. I certainly didn't, but I've heard that. Her smile was tight. It'll fade, I swear. Patience, do not desert me now. Every instinct screamed at him to drag her across the table, reminder of how deep their connection ran. But he knew it would be a mistake. It would give her a reason to keep him away. How long until it fades, you reckon? Kenna shrugged. Probably when you go home and meet another big-haired, big-busted blonde. Probably. She dropped her torch as if it were on fire. God, I don't know why I said that. All right. Safe to say she'd seen the photo in his wallet. Kenna, I didn't keep that picture because I still have feelings for Mary. He sighed when she picked up a pencil and started to sketch on an oversized notepad. Scratch, scratch. It's a fond memory, a simple one. I needed as many as I could get over there. Didn't feel right throwing it away, even after what she did. We had one night together back. No big deal. I don't know why you're even explaining this to me. She shoved the pencil behind her ear and fitted it. You don't see me going into detail about all my past boyfriends. He saw it coming. Saw she'd located the weapon in her arsenal and was prepared to use it. Don't. You're not the first soldier I've brought back here from base, Beck. Far from it. She wouldn't look at him. Good thing, because in two sentences, she'd managed to invoke jealousy and resignation he was nowhere near ready to feel. Not because her having partners before him made him want her any less. No, he just hoped she wouldn't try to distance him with that knowledge. And like any man who felt for a woman, thinking of her with other men didn't sit well. At all. So what you're telling me is I'm a notch in your bedpost. His jaw was bunched so tight it hurt to speak. I just want to be clear. Her hesitation was brief. Too brief. But at least it told him he'd live to fight another day. That about sums it up, Beck. Not trusting himself to speak, he nodded once. 
It took every ounce of his will not to look back as he walked out the door, back to his empty apartment on base. He'd give her until tonight. No longer. We're back. Hi. Welcome. How was that? How was that for a setup? <laughs> Is it good for you? <laughs> Is it good for me? It's a hot one. Okay, so I don't know. I don't have anything on sale or anything to tell you because <laughs> it's been a long two weeks and I just. It's been, it's been hey, a couple of weeks. I'll give you one because this actually, I pulled it up okay. this morning and um, it sounds adorable because I was looking if there was a new release and Avery Flynn actually does have one. It's called um, Awkward. The covers got her like with a baby bump, but I read the book bio and I went ahead and pre-ordered it myself. Uh, Avery, <clears throat> but Avery it's Flynn out today. Mo- like she's doing the most with like the best titles Jesus. and the cutest covers right uh-huh. now. She really but is. listen to this book bio. Okay, give it. To there, me. there's more to me than just being awkward. I own my own flower shop. Have some great friends. I have an, I have an eye on adopting the most adorable kitten. But sadly, hot guys don't tend to blow away my trivia spouting dorky self. So when a Thor lookalike happens to be a professional hockey player, hits on me at my besties wedding rehearsal party, you better believe I climb that tree like a cat. And in fact, it happened not once, but twice, but three times. Yeah, that's pretty much a once in a lifetime experience for a woman like me. There's zero chance I'll end up ever seeing him again, right? Until the pregnancy test comes up positive. What happens next? Oh my god! I wish I knew. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Does that sound adorable. That's really good. Oh, that's so I know. Cute. Can you just oh, imagine Thor look like just bouncing you on this big cock? Like, can you even imagine? No, three times. I'm imagining it right Ooh. now. But that is out today. Whoever wants to read it with me, hop on because I'll be reading it on Monday yeah. too. Because mm-hmm. it sounds Get amazing. In there. I'm yeah. reading. Um, that sounds really cute. Uh, no judgments by Meg Cabot. You know Meg Cabot who wrote the Princess Diaries. Yeah, so doing, yeah. Oh, that's right. You're doing the thing. I'm with doing her, a Morristown right? Book Festival on Saturday with her, and so I'm reading mm-hmm. her that book in preparation, and it's really cute so far. It's this girl. The heroine has like she's moved to a small town to escape her uh, her ex fiance. Uh, I think she was assaulted by his friend and and her ex and her fiance like didn't believe her or told her to get over it oh shit yeah so she like dyed her hair pink and moved to a small island and she's crushing on like a local contractor Um, but a storm is bearing down on this small town and instead of and she's not evacuating because she wants to care for these animals so that I just start I literally just started it two days ago, but it's great so far. And um, Meg Cabot is kind of like a legend because she wrote the Princess Diaries. Like she wrote rom com before rom com was a thing. So um, uh-huh. Meg Cabot, C A B O T, very good. I yeah. love it. There was something else I was going to ask you about that. I like what else? Oh, I um I started the the secret, the Julie Garwood book that you guys have been hounding me about. I finally started it on audio this morning and I'm so excited because the beginning is really cute with the little girls. Yes. And how they meet. So oh, it's you really know what? sweet. I, I think I'm going to so read I'm that again excited. because I need a comfort read right now. Like that would probably yeah. be really good. Mm-hmm. Like that. I, I can already tell this is going to be such oh, a good book. Like you guys were not wrong. No, we're not wrong. <clears throat> so yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we'll be back on Friday with more of the majors. Welcome <clears throat> home by somebody named Tessa Bailey. And in the meantime, <laughs> yeah, tell them what to do. Fuck your day up, mate. Say your bitch.
don't be a dick. Bye. Bye, Bye. guys. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance.